Rise, rejects, and answer the call for a new episode of So You Think You Can Dark Tide has arrived, sponsored by Dark Tide. Warhammer 40,000 Dark Tide. Buy it. It's on Game Pass. And it's on Steam. Play it. Wait, hold on. It's on Dark Game Tide. Pass? It's on Game mm. Pass. I didn't have to fucking pay for it? God damn it. No, because there's no crossplay, so you'd have to pay for it to play it with us. Okay. So at least I didn't waste my money. Until they add crossplay on Game Pass, um, which they said they're going to do. I mean, Oops. I like supporting the devs, so. Yeah, by this is a definitely sponsored segment, Dark Tide. And you know what Dark Tide is about? The Inquisition from Warhammer 40,000. So what do we do when we're talking about the Inquisition in Warhammer 40,000? We connect it to something that we've done in previous episodes. Today, we are reading The All Guardsmen Party. This is part nine of the All Guardsmen Party recording. If you want to know what's going on in the previous parts, listen to them. They're all numbered, I think. I kept the numbering. They are there. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god. If you um if you if we want to go on a technicality, we've had multiple multi-episode recordings of the All Guardsman Party. Okay. Um so the we're only probably one that's on split like part is, uh... 13. It's just the, the interpl- one, wow. interplanetary man of mystery, right? Yeah, yeah, that that one is that one is specifically in two rec- two episodes because we needed two episodes. So that one is split. Yeah, I fuck know. you guys. You 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 guys don't get you guys, don't, you guys don't get your cake. You get the same episode split in two over two days. Yes. Uh, um, I mean, somebody come up with a theme for an interesting fact of no consequence brought to you by Matt. Well, don't you have to come up with it? Um, Warhammer 40,000 Dark Tide on sale now on Steam and Game no, Pass. No, no, that's, no. I said come up with a theme. I'm going to give you a fact. Oh, that's the okay. theme. Um, the theme. <laughs> That's the theme, theme is Warhammer oh, 40,000 well, Dark you, Well, you're an engineer. Um, you hum a musical theme. Oh, 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 oh sorry. Oh, okay. oh, facts. That kind of theme. Matt I like facts. Matt facts. Three percent of the words we are going to read today are Sarge. Wow. Matt facts. There, what do you guys that? Th- what are your guys' thoughts on the Matt the Matt Fax song? I like I think it's it. Quite good. Ten out of ten, actually. I may never remember it, but uh, uh well we have to oh. remember it. We have to. Well, Sergio, I but, need you to remember the Matt Fax song, please. I, I probably won't, mm-hmm. but Jake, I needed to ask you because you didn't respond when I sent you the, the the little snippet from the research paper I was uh I was reading. What was your reaction when I sent that to you? Oh, that was a research paper. Yeah, that was a research paper. I I, I was I having know. to read for a. For I didn't a paper know what I that was, was. I thought you sent me like a weird SCP article, and I was like, "Oh, no. newborn fortunes." Okay. For context, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I'm I'm writing a paper um about um albinism, specifically looking at a very specific mutation that causes it. The one one of He's many recessive alleles. And I click on this paper and I go to the materials and methods sections, which if you've never read a research paper, the materials and methods sections is where they go over like how they did the experiments. And it mentions it's usually boring that they have. Yeah. I mean, you don't really need to read it, but for this review paper, I had to just at least explain what they did in the experiment, but how yeah. they got the, the, the melanocytes, which are the cells that produce melanin for this experiment is that they extracted them 
from discarded foreskins from newborns. And I was like, what? And I looked at the date and it was like 2000. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. I don't know if they still do that, but that's not something I was expecting sure, to read in this I'm paper. I'm sure they do. They might. What's a, what's a good way to ethically get skin tissue that isn't dead? Uh, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I'm glad it's being used for something. I hate, I hate, I hate when it like, like I, I just heard like, oh uh, yeah, we took we took a bunch of this stuff out and we just threw it away. I was like, oh, imagine like, imagine being the the person like your wife just gave birth. And the, and the doctor comes in and is like, all right, um, baby's looking healthy. Um, would you like to donate the foreskin to medicine? We we do take the placenta and the cord. That is true. I, thought, I thought you're supposed to eat the placenta. No. <laughs> well, I mean, if yeah, you could do that. New wave medicine. If you're in a if you're a wild animal, then yeah, you can eat it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, we we mm. eat it too, but there's not really. I guess the it's nutritious, but it's a little gross. Incredibly valuable, though. It's got okay. super, super valuable cells in it. I know we were just talking about reading this quickly. <laughs> Can I talk about something at work? Yeah, you go ahead. Oh, oh, is this is this the is this the is is this yes. is this also related to the penis? Yes, it is related to 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 adolescent penis. Okay, I'm not. A Are you allowed to tell us this? Do we don't want to break HIPAA on camera? Names redacted. Yes. Okay, we, so I work at a a hospital. As people, fans of the podcast, long long time fans of the podcast, know I work at a hospital, and I have been working at hospitals for <coughs> like three years. Right, we had a, we had a little kid come mm-hmm. in today, mm-hmm. who was having penal swelling. Uh oh, and it turned out what happened was he was experiencing. Phimosis. Kai, do you know what phimosis is? Um, no. So, here's here's my okay. I need someone, to, Matt, Jack, Jake Fax song right now. That's not the Jake Fax song. song. That's my own rendition of the Jake no! Fax song. It's like a. It's like I got put on like a new TV station. Like 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 my show got bought by CBS. You've been rebranded. Oh, yeah, I got rebranded. So, um, foreskin fact. Here, also known as why you should why you should snip it. Um. So there's this thing that that uncircumcised penises can get called phimosis. His his PP was swollen, and then the doctor looked at it, and he was like, "That shit's phimosis." And what basically what happens is when the foreskin gets peeled back and gets stuck, and get tightened, it can happen. And the kid was like less than ten, I think he's like five, like like the five to eight range. Okay. And so he was probably just like peeing or like playing with his wee wee, and it just <laughs> got stuck, and then it got swollen. And then so the doctor's talking to one of the nurses about it. And then he goes, he looked at me, he goes, you want to see what Famosis looks like? And before I respond, he just like shows me his phone of just like a baby penis with Famosis. And I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. Now, now, t- now tell me, did you, did, how close to, from lunch were you when he showed you this picture? Um, It was probably like 10 a.m. So about an hour. 
I had, sure. I had a pub a hearty sub. sandwich. I had a pub sub. Yeah, I did. It was really yummy. Okay. Chicken tender sub was $2 nice. off. Nice. But yeah, so yeah, the kid had famosis. And usually when you have famosis, the only way to cure it is to get circumcised because it's stuck. And so they have to remove the skin to get it unstuck. Damn. It can happen in adults too. If you're if you're too frivolous, well, remember uh, to pull it back. I guess. Oh God, yeah, that reminds you, me. If you're, if, if you're if you're if you're intimate with a partner and you and you don't remember to to to, to pull it back when you're done, you can get famosis. That that actually another, that actually reminds me. Another podcast I listened to. Uh, one of the one of the hosts of the podcast talks about how he had famosis from from getting some some poontang. And that's how I, uh, I learned about Fumosis. I, I knew I knew a guy who told me that he didn't know you were supposed to pull it back until he was eighteen. I was like, yeah, "That's a yikes moment." Wait, so they and gave him a circumcision for that? Um, because there's a lot of other know. treatments for it. I don't know if they did. I'm pretty sure the most common treatment I've heard, according the to the doctor, right? is either an ointment or you just cut it. I don't think they. I maybe. How old is the doctor in this case? I'm. I, this is just me being um, curious. Is he an older guy or is he a? Uh, no, guy? he's younger. He's like 30s. Hold on. All right. Uh, which one of us is starting off the story? Hmm. Don't you always? Isn't sure. That the I'll go. I'll, job? I'll, I'll, I'll go first, <laughs> and then we can go. Kai, Matt, and Jake just down those Zencaster order. The greater good. We start with. Uh, so we start off with a, I want you for the Imperial Inquisition uh, picture, as we always do. Interrogator Greg Sargent was not having a good day. In fact, he was currently waist deep in a septic pipe. It's safe to say that he was having an incredibly shitty day. Huh? See what they did there? He spent <laughs> his entire morning in meetings with the other interrogators. His afternoon had been one long argument with the Inquisition's most tedious personnel officer, and then he'd been called away to deal with the mess. Now, instead of eating a well-earned dinner, he was trying to pick his way through a rat's nest of trip wires while arguing philosophy and speculating how many showers he was going to need, all because his squad's demolitions expert had stopped taking his meds again. Twitch wasn't having a good day either. He could hear the orcs moving through the pipes around him, but didn't have anything heavy enough to blast them with. If Doc and Tink hadn't sold him his supplies when he told them about the commando raid, Twitch could have easily wiped out the greenskins. Instead, he'd been reduced to trying to snipe them through the walls with his last pistol. To make matters worse, the traitorous bastard coming off the pipe was destroying a few perimeter defenses he'd been able to rig. Twitch stopped perforating the walls for a moment to shout down the pipe, reminding Sarge that he'd always said never to trust anyone over the rank of sergeant. Doc, Tink, Nubby were having a great day. Tink had jacked a screen into the maintenance cameras and and everyone was enjoying the show. They took turns critiquing Sarge's arguments about the nature of rank and Twitch's rebuttals. After the second time Sarge had tripped into the muck, Tink asked if this wasn't a bit much, especially coming from Doc. The medic held up his travel orders and pointed to the name of the vessel that'd be taking them to Tau space. With a grim smile, Doc asked Tink if he'd ever heard the story about the time Nubby bought a warp ship. The All Guardsmen Party and the Greater Good. Eventually, Sarge got Twitch out of there. It was a good show while it lasted, though. The whole experience actually seemed to cheer him up. Nothing like a slog through a river of shit and booby traps to get a soldier back to their roots. The weeks before that had been rough on Sarge. He wasn't cut out for meetings or other bureaucratic bullshit. We'd all noticed that he kept disappearing and was getting grumpier than usual, but it was put down to him getting married or contracting some horrible disease. Same thing, am I right? 
It wasn't until we were all given sets of honest-to-God deployment orders that we found out that the man had let himself get promoted. That was a nasty shock. It was like finding out the, the, the regimental chaplain had sworn his soul to chaos. Well, actually, no one but Twitch really took it that hard. There was a little moping and a lot of bitching, but eventually we just came to terms with the situation. It's not like we didn't already follow his orders. The only difference now was that he was going to be busy running the whole team instead of focusing on keeping us alive. In a skewed way, he was doing it for us. It was the only way we'd stop getting handed incompetent superiors to babysit. Still, Sarge hid it from us, and the first mission he'd landed us was ridiculous. The score had to be even before things could return to normal, hence Twitch's little adventure. Once Sarge and Twitch were hosed down, everyone pulled together to help Sarge prep for the mission. Which is to say Doc helped, and everyone else stayed out of trouble or annoyed people that were giving Sarge grief. It's amazing what people will agree to to get Nubby or Twitch to leave their office. This time, the mission wasn't a random investigation into something Oak's boys had dug up. It was a continuation of our previous one. The boss man was very interested in the group of traitors we'd stumbled over and half-murdered in our escape from the rogue trader. He was of the opinion that they were responsible for most of the desertion problem and thought they'd been transporting the deserters off-planet for some nefarious purpose. It was our job to track them down, figure out what was going on, then kill everyone for good measure. The problem was that the traders and the trader had all buggered off after Bane blew up their base. Our only real lead was the cloaked figure that had been bossing the traders around. Oak's analysts had decided it was a Tau, a type of Xenos that was fond of tech heresy and corrupting the minds of honest imperial citizens. Since no one had seen the traitors, or a massive army of deserters anywhere nearby the Boffins, uh, well, everyone thought that they must have just fled to the region of space where the Tau lived. So the first step in finding them was going to be traveling halfway across the bloody galaxy to Tau space. Of course, the logistics of getting our squad all the way to Tau space were rather complex. It was too far to hitch a ride on Navy vessels, and if Oak was going to go through the trouble to send us down there, he might as well send a few other teams to do inquisitive stuff. Can so you pause of... again, Sergio? <clears throat> Let's see here. Where was it? Mm, I see. So, they'd blown up. Uh, they went to Tau space. The first step in finding them was going to be traveling halfway across the bloody galaxy. It was much too far to hitch a ride on Navy vessels, and if Oak was going to go through the trouble to send us down there, he might as well send a few other teams to do Inquisitive stuff. So instead of hiring a merchant vessel, the Inquisitor decided to send one of his own ships, which was the real reason we weren't happy about the mission. Our squad was in for a several-month trip on Oak's most recent acquisition, a freshly refurbished merchant ship known as the Occurrence Border. This did not thrill us. Yeah, despite the fact that we'd be traveling on a ship that had more in common with a warp-tainted space hulk than a proper vessel, there were upside to this arrangement. Between the large number of teams being sent and the support staff that'd be staying on the ship, there were a lot of familiar names on the roster. Most of the survivors from the regiment were spread between the other teams. Several of the cog boys and adepts we'd worked with were coming along and Sarge got to help pick them, got to help pick the ship's medical staff. So a certain hospitality was brought. The downside of this was that doc began bouncing between being annoyingly cheerful and annoyingly worried. It was depend It depended on whether he was focusing on the fact that his girlfriend was coming along or the fact that his girlfriend might be eaten with by demons with the rest of us. 
Dockthrowing tendencies aside, the final preparations went smoothly and everyone began transferring over to the occurrence border. We first met the rest of our team on the shuttle. Sarge had picked them all out beforehand, but Oak didn't like people talking about their orders before they left his ship. It had been obvious this mission was going to involve a lot more thinking and talking than any of us like to do, so Sergeant Doc had picked mostly nerds to come with us. On the thinky side... What? (laughs) (laughs) It was Latrell, and now I feel bad. (laughs) Rest in peace. On the thinky side, we had a Xenos expert and a cogitator boffin. Uh, for the talky stuff, we had an aging diplomat and a sneaky bugger who's supposed to be good at impersonating people. The final spot was filled, filled by Fumbles because the other interrogators kept calling Sarge. He should have a psyker, and he was at least, and he was the least offensive one around. Introductions were made, briefings were handed out, and most of the trip was spent spent explaining the otter aspects of the team to the newcomers. To their credit, they didn't look uh, start looking uneasy until the explanation reached Twitch, Twitch's habits and why it was important to be nice to Fumbles. And a cogitator, for those who don't know, Kai. Meaning me, yes. Um, the a cogitator is basically just like a dude, like a like a tech priest, um, who's more higher up. Okay. He's an important tech priest, basically. Okay. He thinks He's about tatering that. the cogs. You see. There was a small welcoming party waiting for us when Sarge led us off the shuttle. A harassed senior officer welcomed us aboard, then dumped our party onto a nervous-looking midshipman and some crewmen. The poor midi had apparently apparently had a routine he was supposed to go through for new arrivals. Unfortunately, the first step was to have everyone's gear shipped ahead to their quarters by the cargo servitors. Given our previous experiences with servitors on that ship, that didn't go well for any of us. Twitch was of the opinion that we should kill the servitors immediately, just to be on the safe side. Doc got Twitch to calm down and put his last gun away, while Sarge explained for personal reasons we'd be carrying our own gear. The terrified midshipman did not press the issue and skipped ahead to the orientation tour. Well, none of us really needed the tour, it was pretty fun, especially since our tour guide didn't know we'd been on the ship before. The occurrence border was definitely in better condition than the last time we've seen it, which isn't really saying much. The refit hadn't done anything about its maze-like corridors bizarre layout, but all of the blood and battle damage had been cleared up. The gravity almost went, almost always went in the same direction, and none of the doors led to rooms full of demonic fire. The biggest change we noticed was that the thousands of little notes had even been removed or replaced with official-looking plaques. This had the same thing, and there were maps at almost every junction. All in all, the ship was in pretty good shape. Though we did notice that certain sections of the maps were labeled Warp Contaminated, Do Not Enter, and every map had the same com code for the ship's confessors printed under it. The high point of the whole tour was when a few of our pointed questions pushed the midshipman over the edge. He exploded into a passionate little tirade about how much effort had gone into refurbishing the ship and how poor its original condition was. Then he went on at great length about how badly the supply agent who purchased the ship had screwed up. Apparently the man had not only purchased a nearly derelict ship, he'd also managed to nearly lose it in the wharf while transporting it to the shipyard. Given how much life and money had been lost in the deal, the incompetent had been lucky to only be reassigned to one of Oak's suicide squads. The kid couldn't figure out why Nubby looked so embarrassed and the rest of us kept cracking up. Eventually, we... Some kind of suicide squad? I was waiting for someone to say that. Thank you. I, I didn't want to. It was too cheesy. Eventually, we bullied the midshipmen into taking us into into engineering, where we traded them out for a more familiar guide. Jim, the former tech acolyte 
had been transferred to the ship a month ahead of us and was looking spiffy in his new engine seer robes. It wasn't a surprise. Sarge had requested him and Hannah during the mission prep. Everyone was happy to see Jim again, except for Tink, who ignored the cogboy and wandered off to start poking at something expensive-looking that was on a workbench. Jim started bringing us up to speed on the ship's situation, pausing every few seconds as Tink to stop touching things. Before long, a brief and ugly argument exploded between them. It ended when Sarge, with Sarge sending our techie to sit in the corner and try not to commit tech heresy. Tink didn't respond well to the order. He grumpily demanded to know where Hannah was, and asked if we could trade the unscientific little zealot for her. Everyone ignored him, and Jim finished supplying us with all the information that the midshipmen hadn't known or been willing to give us. I I just love the concept of just being like, go sit in the corner and stop committing heresy. I don't want to die. <laughs> Please. <laughs> that is hilarious. Now go to your room. Go to your room and think about what you did. Commit Sounds tech heresy again. And... Actual... <laughs> no, what are you saying? Touch your dick, you'll go to Slanesh. Oh my gosh. What were you saying, Kai? It sounds oh, like... Oh, I was going to say, it, it It sounds very much like the actual Inquisition, but we can get into that some other time. <laughs> yes, that's a whole other conversation. Yes. It's almost <clears> like <throat> it's on purpose or something. Great. Yes. Wow! Wow! The half of our team that hadn't heard the story of our previous trip on the occurrence border had a little trouble following the discussion. They mostly just stood around and looked alternately confused and worried. Twitch and Nubby's explanations didn't help. The main hydroponics bays were now midship and the tribals were their official caretakers. The Psyker kids weren't with them anymore. They'd been claimed by Oak and were being raised into proper little team killers. Also, the bays were 99% Crutoid free. Old Bill had been given a juvenile treatment and was head of engineering. His surviving men had been given the treatment too and were bossing around a bunch of rather grumpy cogboys. Bill would have been there to greet us, but Shuttle Bay 13C was stuck upside down and he was the only one who knew where its gravity controls were. No more servitors had gone crazy since our adventure, but the crater the Cog 10 had left at the bottom of the elevator of the bridge still glowed with demonic light and screamed in binary at anyone who came near it. <laughs> <laughs> just imagining throughout the whole show there's just muffled cogton screaming they they like, fall asleep like, to it at night there's like i don't know what's going on and you just see like the cut the, the fucking the cog head just being like oh for like six hours at a time and then like he calms down and then someone touches something and it just it's just and it's just oh, that for like eight hours a day uh, no, let's see. Uh, here we go. All attempts to patch the demonic light had failed, and since it melted back to its original shape after a few hours, they, they just walled off the area and they built a shrine to the emperor around it. It was probably 100% completely safe. All six refurbished Geller fuel generators had been removed. They'd been replaced with a single brand new big one and another big backup. Also, no, our official quarters were not near them. And yes, he and Hannah had cleared out a storage room across the hall from the main entrance. No one would complain if we set up camp there. 
Finally, Jim supplied us with a far more accurate map of the ship than what we had originally been given. It had handy things, like labels on it, and where the emergency food and weapon caches were, as well as the location of where everyone was supposed to be, especially the medical teams. Doc took ownership of the map, and we bid Jim a fond farewell and headed for our conveniently empty storeroom. While we guardified our quarters, a runner came for Sarge and directed him towards a pre-mission meeting. Since the rest of us had much more important things to do than to slowly die of boredom, he wound up taking three nerds and the infiltrator along. They hadn't been much help building barricades anyway. The meeting consisted of half a dozen, dozen other full interrogators and their minions. Some of the ship's senior officers, a mechanic as Magos, and the captain. Is it, is it Magos, 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 or Magos. Magos? I think it's Magos. I- I, I, I say Magos. interesting. I think the I think the K I think Caiaphas Kane audiobooks is Magos. Okay, Magos makes sense. Maybe he says Magos because he's Brit- he's Magos. I don't know. I hate British people. Magos is my is what I'm going with. And if anyone disagrees, then um, bite my my ass. According to Sarge, the captain of the ship was either ex-Navy or ex-Administratum and didn't appear to be too happy with this assignment. I hiccuped. He started things off by explaining that he was not an Inquisitor or even an interrogator. He's in charge of the ship. The only orders he'd be following were Oaks. It was his job to transport and supply everyone regardless of whether their personal mission was recruitment, training, investigation, or archaeotech hunting. Kai, do you need me to explain what archaeotech is? Um... I think I can guess. Okay. Do you want me to TLDR it just in case? Yeah. Yeah. So TLDR long. So there was a big long period called the dark age of technology uh, in the Warhammer universe, which is like the golden age of technology. But um, because they're, because they don't like technology, they think it's bad. Um, Technology was more advanced than it is in 40 K. Um, but then a bunch of AIs got too smart and tried to take over the universe. And so they had to blow it all up. And that's why okay. Singularity. They like, yeah, they don't like, yeah, like Skynet. Okay, got it. And so they don't, so they're still, you, you can't invent new tech, but you can still find old tech and use that. Okay. So let's say like um, you're going through a planet and you find the uh the the files on how to produce a new bike and it's better than the old bike you can switch to that new bike so long as you make it clear to like the the higher-ups of the imperium that you found it um okay or in the case of a lot of things they forge it and then they're like look we found this old thing that's better than our current thing and the imperium's like cool a lot of the okay. new Space Marine equipment is that. Because the, the head of the mechanic is invented a bunch of new stuff for the Primaris Space Marines. And then they were like, oh, uh, yeah, I just found it. And then the Imperium was like, I see nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Move along. Sounds good. <laughs> Therefore, his primary objective was to keep the occurrence borders cover and whole intact while making enough profit off trading to keep the ship running and everyone supplied so unless everyone agreed that a certain mission needed to come first he'd be choosing the ship's route and providing what resources he saw fit being a military man sarge didn't see anything wrong with this and everyone else immediately started bickering of how important their missions were though 
At first, it was amusing to watch, especially since half the debaters refused to tell anyone what their mission actually was. But after the second hour, Sarge was ready to start shooting people. After sitting around and commiserating with the captain and his officers for a while, he just handed over a copy of our briefing and ditched the meeting. It wasn't even like we knew where in Tau space the deserters actually were yet. If you want a fun fact, um, the second Kane Commissar Kane book um, has something very similar to that happen off screen and they're um they're they're supplementing kane's lack of knowledge of the incident because he wasn't there with like an official um like imperium written uh like 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 what like the official report and what happened and basically like kane's right hand man like the like the lieutenant just pulled out his bolt pistol and just started shooting (laughs) up up into the air to, until everyone stopped because like the mechanicus and the guard and the and the local like uh miners were all arguing about w- what they should do if they should like evacuate or if they should fight the um the orcs that were invading or whatever else issues there could be because they found like a necron tomb world and they just kept arguing for like two hours and so the lieutenant just or the i think he's a colonel he 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 just pulls out his bull pistol and just fires like six rounds into the ceiling. And he goes, "Next person to continue to talk takes a bolt round to the head." Any questions? That's awesome. That's pretty yeah, based. It's, yeah, it's funny. All right, continue on, Sergio. Show your. It's red from that seventy show. Yes. The interrogators must have eventually reached a compromise because a few after Sarge to return to the Vox system told ev- Sarge returned to the Vox system and told everyone to prepare for warp and the Geller fuel generator kicked on, nearly frying Twitch as he inspected it for bombs. We all grabbed our weapons, ignored the worried looks our teammates gave us, and prepared for the worst. It was sort of disappointing, but nothing happened. After the first few days of the trip, we built a nice miniature fire base in our Geller Field adjacent room, but couldn't convince any of our teammates to move in. Even Fumbles had bailed on us. He said the generator made his head hurt, and the rest of the, the crazy bastards seemed to think that the rooms with real beds and bathrooms were better than being in the absolute least warped part of the ship. We didn't press the issue, it was their funeral. Afterwards, after the base was up, we didn't really know what to do with our time, and the trip to Tau Space was a damn long one. Sarge, being a rather cynical individual, imagined how the rest of us would keep ourselves entertained after a several-month-long voyage and went to go talk to the captain. For any of us could really start to enjoy our leisure time, much less cause serious trouble, a shipwide announcement was made. The gist of it was, heresy grows from idleness, and layabouts will not be tolerated. If anyone on the ship didn't have something to do to prepare for their mission, they had three options. Find a job on the ship, report to Sarge's new physical fitness class, or take a long walk out of a short airlock. There was a short debate between us on which option was the least horrible. That is, until Nubby verified that we couldn't be given a void suit or let back inside the airlock after our walk. Doc wound up in the med bay where, to everyone else's amusement, he was put to work under his hospital or girlfriend. This arrangement led to numerous tasteless jokes. Anyway, despite what everyone imagined, Doc spent most of the time on his feet dealing with the impressive number of injuries that occurrence border caused on a daily basis. Tink signed up for engineering where he managed to horribly insult or disgust, depending on gender, almost every tech priest on the ship. After the fifth accusation of tech heresy, not to mention the third harassment report, Sarge asked old Bill for a favor. Tink was assigned to the aged engineer's personal assistant and was kept in line via regular percussive maintenance with a spanner. 
Since mining the entire vessel was out of the question, Twitch took it upon himself to patrol the ship for commandos and the like, Nubby figuring this for a snipe hunt, and a great way to avoid strenuous exercise joined him and dragged Fumbles along for moral support. He hadn't counted on the fact that a significant portion of the ship were still warp-tainted and tended to manifest all sorts of warp phenomena whenever the navigator hit a bump. The three of them got far more of the occurrence border experience than the rest of us, frequently finding themselves working with the ship's armsmen, clerics, and engineers to beat back minor demons and seal holes in reality. The trio's adventures were as numerous as they were unbelievable. Every night Nummy would regale us with tales of daring do, and personally claimed no less than the three bloodthirstier kills before the trip ended. Fumbles happily bastarded. Blood That's a type of demon. Oh. Yeah, it's, a, oh. it's like a demon of corn. They they have like goat legs and horns and they're red. And they have a big sword. It's a big red guy. Nice. Big red guy. That doesn't sound very nice. Matt killed one in the in the Warhammer Fantasy campaign. I think Sergio mm -hmm. also killed one. Pretty sure. And Phoenix killed the third one and got covered in blood and was very mad about it. They're not very scary in the grand scheme of Warhammer, but they're still pretty deadly. Well, in the grand okay. scheme of Warhammer, if you're thinking from the perspective of like a just a regular civilian, they're like the they're like you're gonna die, <laughs> right? But also in the grand scheme of civilians, there's like a hundred million things that you literally can't even see before you're just super ultra dead. Yeah, yeah, it sounds pretty deadly. Like everything in that universe, mm -hmm. it's very overpowered. Oh, Anyhow, where was I? Uh, the bloodthirster kills before the trip ended and oh, yes. fumbles. Three bloodthirster kills before the trip ended. Fumbles happily basked in the dubious glory of these stories, and Twitch was, well, Twitch. One night while drinking, he quietly told us that when the turbulence was bad, random doors opening to rooms of fire were still a thing. Also, the mysterious poker room now had a fighting ring occupied by a chainsword-wielding skeleton. The skeleton had waved at him. That After picture is so cool. It is very, very oh, cool. That is cool. I posted that a picture of a bloodthirster, by the way, Kai. Looks terrifying. I see yeah. it. It looks like a. It looks like Ash's skeleton from Evil Dead because he's holding holding a chainsaw. True. After we settled Thank into our the roles, reference. the long trip went by without any incidents. Well, well, at least without any major incidents. Actually, let's just say that no one died. Almost. No one. Well, no one whose name we actually remembered. The important thing is that everyone on our team was alive and functionally sane when we reached the edge of Tau space. The adepts and the infiltrator had spent the whole trip going through the key data that Oak gave us and what came in via Astropath. As far as we could tell, the only thing they'd established with all that work was that the deserters had left the Imperium from the top left-ish direction on the map. This didn't overly impress us, but it was enough information for the captain to plan his route, and as we got closer to the border, some useful data began to come in. Apparently, this section of space was lousy with Ordos Xenos agents keeping an eye on the Tau. Every time we stopped to refuel or do a little training, the adepts would send out queries, and they slowly narrowed down destination to a cluster of what the nerds called buffer systems. According to the diplomat and Xenos expert, the border between the Imperium and the Tau Empire were... A little fuzzy out here. The big important systems all had very clear owners, but there were a 
large number of more marginal worlds that were more or less independent. The adepts explained how they served an important purpose involving trade and tension and other stuff we didn't give a fuck about, but Doc was the only one who even tried to begin following it. As far as we were concerned, we were headed towards a bunch of worlds that were half human and half Xenos because they were too shit for either side to care about. And after a few stops to drop off other teams and pick up cargo, the captain steered us towards the cluster and Sarge was forced to pick a world to start the mission on. In the end, he ignored all of the data and all of the estimates provided by the adepts and just chose the only one that had a permanent agent on it. If you want a comparison, Kai, for how big Tau space is in comparison to the Imperium of Man, think of the Earth, right? That's the Imperium of Man. Tau space is Chugwater, Wyoming. Okay. It really is bumfuck middle of nowhere. It's It's like a few dozen systems. And it, it, they're, they're just, it's so inconvenient to wipe them out that the Imperium chooses not to. Because they're just like, ah, it's a lot of resources. Because the tower, like, really, they have really good technology. Like, better technology than the Imperium. So, you know, you'd, like, they could, they could, they could fend off Space Marines pretty easy. So you're like, ah, do I want to lose, like, a <laughs> yeah. hundred Space Marines to take over a planet when I can take over this planet and not lose any space Marines. Yeah. And that's why the Tau still exists. It used to be also, bigger, but then there was a civil war um, between the Tau. And now there's, there's an even smaller system of planets called the Farsight Enclave, where if, if, if the Tau are Chugwater, Wyoming, then the Farsight Enclave is, is, is Matt's house. With a lot of Matt's guns in it. In Matt's, Chugwater, Wyoming. In, yeah. No, it's outside of Chugwater. But they have okay. a lot of guns. So if you mm-hmm. go near them, they'll start shooting at you. Okay. If a standard towel planet takes like 100 Space Marines, a Farside Enclave would probably take like 1,000 or more. And that's not no. a real number. It's like a relative amount. It's more, maybe more like two or 300, but... Yeah. Not worth it. Yeah, not worth Basically, it. Basically, nobody gives a fuck to go take him over. Yeah, the occurrence border came out of came out of warp at our destination with the usual groans, clanks, and small explosions. And we made our final preparations for the mission. Nubby grudgingly supplied the rest of the team with weapons. Twink, almost a twink. Twink grabbed all of the gadgets he could carry from the engineering department stores. Twitch repacked most of his traps, and Doc annoyed everyone with his melodramatic goodbyes. After Sarge commanded handed command of his PT class over to the ship's bosun, he corralled everyone into the shuttle bay for a final briefing. To our, supply, our surprise, the captain actually came down to see us off. He and Sarge had gotten along rather well, and the captain personally handed over the ship's contact codes and the briefcase of local currency that would act as our budget. Sarge saluted the man and promised to meet him for drinks when the occurrence border came back through the cluster in three months, then led us onto the shuttle that would take us to the planet. As we flew down the Xenos expert and diplomat tried their best to remind us on how things worked in this world. They managed to fit an entire crash course on the socio-political situation, the cultural and economic status of the cluster, and the history of the Tau Empire into a two-hour shuttle trip. None of us really listened, though. We knew what border that border world meant a barely colonized wilderness, possibly a few Xenos that no one ever that no one had gotten around to killing yet. 
The spaceport we landed in wasn't the biggest we'd seen, but it was definitely the cleanest. Several teams of men came out and started unloading our shuttle, and one of them, and one of them discreetly led us into a service tunnel. A bit of walking and a short drive later, we found ourselves standing on a street corner in the oddest-looking city any of us had ever seen. As a mixed crowd of humans and xenos parted around us, Nubby quietly asked the adepts if they'd mind giving that lecture again. Just saying, <clears throat> that place was weird doesn't even begin to cover it. It might have been easier to handle if it was just a Xeno city. But the way humans and familiar pieces of Imperial architecture was mixed in was just uncanny. The crowds of people heading to work looked normal at first, then you realize half of them were freaking blue. You'd see a shrine of the Emperor with all the nice normal arches and skulls on top of everything. Then right next to it would be a giant mushroom-looking building that no one seemed to notice. On top of all that, the humans looked subtly wrong. It wasn't their clothes or hairstyles. So they walked and talked. While we stared and tried to figure out what was going on, Fumbles put his finger on it. Everyone around us was... Happy. Or at least not oh as weirdly God. miserable How as horrible. normal workers should oh my be. God. It was damned unsettling. Twitch and Tank both went into a sort of overload because of the sheer number of Xeno surrounding us and the amazing array of tech being used in the city, respectively. Both had to be restrained while Sarge and the Adepts negotiated a vehicle rental. And the struggle attracted quite a bit of attention. Luckily, none of us were in uniform and obviously armed, so Doc and the Infiltrator were able to convince all the curious onlookers that everything was fine and no one was about to start a shooting spree. When Sarge returned with the vehicle, a normal ground truck, thank the Emperor, Tank would have exploded if it had been the one hovering Xenos once. We piled in and drove towards the local contact's address as fast as possible. We got about a half a click when we heard a siren and our truck suddenly slowed down and pulled over while Tank struggled with the wheel and swore at it. Nubby just barely stopped Twitch from snapshotting the cow police officer who wanted to know what the hurry was and where the hell we'd learned to drive. So no shit, there we were, a highly trained and heavily armed inquisitorial goon squad, chasing pause, a bunch of traitorous Pause disorders. for one second, Kai. I, I need to interrupt, interlude you. How many times in a row now is this where we've accidentally given Kai the Sono Yeah, so no it used to never be, Kai only said <laughs> it for the first time, like, recently. And now yes. he says it every time. I love it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Crazy. I was okay. literally just thinking of that, and I didn't want to say anything. Because I just well, wanted I to revel in it. <laughs> right, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just, I'm, you're fucking hexing us. You've got the good luck demon. Yeah. Right, go ahead. <clears throat> anyway, um, chasing a bunch of traitorous deserters on an alien world. I don't know why I was about to read that as alien island. That's weird. And we'd just been pulled over for speeding. Not our best moment. Mortified doesn't even begin to cover it. Almost everyone just sort of sat there and stared ahead, thinking about how our cover was going to be blown, and how the entire local government would come down on us, all because of a damned speeding ticket. The only sounds were Tink's muttered curses as he tried to figure out what had forced the truck to stop, Doc's prayers, and our social infiltrator fast-talking the officer. Thank the Emperor for that sneaky bastard and his bullshitting skills. Through impressive series of lies, excuses, distractions, and a little bribery, he managed to hide the fact that we didn't have any sort of identification, and even managed to talk some directions out of the cop, too. Despite how well things were going, though, it was a sobering and educational experience, which really drove in how far we were from home. On an Imperial world, the local police tended to ignore everything less than an outright murder by a man in a guard uniform. Hell, no one even blinked at one of us carrying a lasgun around. It seemed they were a lot less accommodating around here. 
As the officer walked away, Sarge began to worry. Given that we'd nearly gotten into a life-and-death struggle with the authorities while leaving the shuttle port, his first mission as interrogator seemed doomed to failure before the end of the month. His mood had not improved when Tink ripped out the pesky little thingy that they'd forced to pull us that had forced to pull ugh, forced us to pull over, causing the police officer to turn around and walk back, while the infiltrator hastily tried to explain why we'd ripped out our vehicle's government mandated identification and emergency control device, Sarge decided we'd be lucky to make it to the end of next week. Eventually, we managed to sort things out and reached the address we'd been given for our local contact. It turned out to be a large, official-looking building in imperial style, but built out of the weird fucking tan stuff the fucking towel like to use. In a fit of sanity, we all decided that trooping in the front door of a government building and knocking on the secret inquisitorial agent's door would be bad and stupid. So our Xenos and Cogitator experts were sent to figure out how to use one of the public comm terminals to call him. Tink complained that he wasn't sent in too, but didn't get any sympathy from anybody. A few minutes later, the adepts came back and directed us around to an unmarked passage, which took us deep into the building. The passage ended at an impressive security door, which opened into a surprisingly posh office and sealed seamlessly into the wall behind us. A large, slightly overweight man sat at a desk with a nameplate which declared him to be General Weebu, Head of Interplanetary Security. There was a brief moment of panic as all of us took in the title and realized we had just walked nearly unarmed to the planet's intelligence headquarters. Then the man stood up and extended his hand to Sarge. In a booming voice, he introduced himself as Lars Weebu, Inquisitor of the Ordo Xenos. Retired. Several questions flashed across our minds as we processed that we'd just seen and heard, such as if Inquisitors could really retire and how he'd wound up out here. Unfortunately, the person to open their mouth was Nubby, who loudly asked why the Inquisitor was wearing a dress. A sort of congealed silence followed that remark, and then Tink pointed out that it was more of a robe, and lots of men wore robes. Nubby reposted by pointing out that it's got flowers on. It's not a robe if it's got flowers on. And Tink conceded the point, but suggested they shouldn't judge him for his choice of clothing. The Xenos had probably done something to his brain. Nubby was the lucky one. He only got slapped upside the head by Doc. Tink got hit by Sarge. That was probably the third most embarrassing experience in Sarge's life, coming in above the speeding ticket, but below the apology he had to make for our trainees back when we were instructors for Oak. Face glowing, Sarge stepped over Tink's groaning body and did his best to explain that, while all of his team members were excellent soldiers, some had suffered mental health damage in their battles. Sorry, mental damage in their battles. The ex-Inquisitor stood there and looked stuffed for a few more seconds and muttered something about falling standards. He turned to face Nubby, who paled and tried to smile, then spent an inordinately a long time explaining the cultural significance of Tau formal robes. Now, when I say inordinately long, I really mean it. The man just kept talking and talking. It wasn't until Sarge pointed out that we didn't want to take up his entire day that he wound down enough for us to get in our questions. Why am I reading it like that? Of course, those questions immediately set him off again. We had to endure this whole rambling lecture about how after a century of fighting them, he discovered how unique and vibrant Tau culture and society were. 
According to Weebu, it was his, du- his duty for the good of the galaxy as a whole to preserve what aspects of it he could and incorporate them into the per- Imperium before their self-destructive government doomed them all by provoking us. He'd worked to get his Damn. position so he could steer we'll these free border worlds toward the brighter future. If only everyone could see them as an al- see that an alliance was possible and the benefit of sharing technology, we could blah, blah, blah. I'm a Xeno's loving weirdo, yada, yada, yada. Sarge eventually had to stop him again when he started telling us about how many times the metal in an honor blade was folded. <laughs> <laughs> yes, honey. This is a character Garrett would write. That's a bad thing. Yeah, probably. All right, continue, Sergio. Sorry. Say we were dubious about the ex-Inquisitor's sanity and loyalty is one hell of an understatement, especially since he never said how he became an ex-Inquisitor, but he was really only the lead we had out here. When when we could, sorry, when he could get a word in edgewise, Sarge explained that we are here to hunt down a large number of guard deserters, their rogue trader transport, and the cloaked Xenos who led them then had the adepts fill in all of the details they'd gathered. Weeboo took all of this and directed us to sit and wait while we, while he played with a Xeno cogitator thingy that popped out of his desk and made Tink and the Boffin drool. As Weeboo typed, he gave it a quick rundown of the overall situation of the cluster. Almost every planet or large station was independently governed and worked with the rest of the cluster in a sort of defensive alliance. Some individual planets worked closely with the Tau government. Others were more pro-imperial, but as a whole, the cluster wanted to say a neutral buffer state. They had a good thing going. Everyone was making money off all the unofficial trade that went between the empires, and no one's planet was being used as the arena for the latest Tau versus Imperium pissing match. Lately, though, things were looking a little dicey. Someone with serious firepower was raiding stations and even a few planets in the cluster, completely destroying them and leaving no witnesses. Everyone was arming up and getting ready for a fight, but no one knew what the threat actually was and if their forces could take it. Some of the more pro-imperial, pro-tau planets were loudly saying that it'd be better to lose their independence and be horribly murdered, while the rest wanted to see if they could handle it themselves. So basically, things weren't completely screwed up here, but a major incident could set off a serious shitstorm, or as we would put it, disturb the tranquility of my ga- garden of tolerance. Weirdo. The whole point of the ex-inquisitor's lecture was that it was not good time. It was was that it was not a good time for a bunch of desperate, well-armed, military-trained men to be wandering around the cluster looking for a little fun. And they definitely were wandering around the cluster, according to the reports he was looking at right then. Every planet was seeing an influx. Unfortunately, there weren't enough to account for the numbers we gave him, so it was probably just spillover from where the majority were heading. Therefore, he would, both as a favor to us and for the good of his garden, put agents on tracking down those missing men. Weebu suggested that we find ourselves a safe house and brush up on the local culture and laws while he had an entire planet's spy agency do the legwork for us. Once his boys found the deserters, he'd pass on the info and we could handle the messy parts while his agency kept its hands clean. This suited us nicely, but Sarge felt he should at least make a token of effort and ask if there were any parts of the investigation we could help with. After a little thought, the ex-inquisitor reiterated his suggestion and added the local technology to the list. He cited a report that had just come in saying that several suspicious men had been pulled over for reckless driving, attempted to bribe the police officer, ripped out their vehicle's transponder, and attempted to bribe the officer again. These men were apparently so clueless that they hadn't even shielded their highly illegal weapons from scanning or noticed the drones the officer had sent to tail their vehicle while he reported the incident. If it weren't for a highly 
placed official vouching for these men, they'd probably have been arrested by the SWAT team waiting and watching their truck right this second. Sarge quietly agreed to Weebu's suggestion, then let us out the passage. Cursing Xenos, Tank, the Inquisition, Deserters, Tank, Smartasses, and Tank, every step of the way. The first order of business after we verified that a SWAT team wasn't about to kill us was to get a place to stay. Sarge dumped the problem on the adepts, then grumpily ordered everyone else to sit in the truck and not touch anything! The three nerds did a lot of cogitator and calm work, then gave us a list of options and their prices. Doc wisely asked whether there were security deposits on these places and how likely random civilians were to walk into the perimeter. With those thoughts in mind, Sarge vetoed every hab on the list, leaving us with a disused warehouse that, from the smell of it, had last been used to store live groks. That's the glamorous lifestyle of an inquisitorial agent for you. The next week, or whatever the frickin' hell you call 734-hour days, was spent doing exactly what the ex-inquisitor had told us to do. The cogitator Boffin patched himself into the planet's network and pulled down a ludicrous amount of information. It was then crammed into our poor, overloaded brains by the other two adepts while Sarge walked back and forth behind us all, hitting anyone who was not paying enough attention. It was a fairly horrible experience, but it definitely worked. By the end, we knew how the planetary, gov planetary governments worked, the basic functions of the local tech, and far, far, far too much about Tau formal robes. We all blamed Nubby for that last one. When word hadn't come from Weebu by the end of the week, Sarge told us to keep ourselves busy by applying the knowledge that had been crammed into us. He and Doc brushed up on the local lingo with the infiltrator, and the adepts did some cogitated work, just in case Weebu wasn't actually going to get us the info we needed. Tink and Twitch worked on ways to evade the pesky weapon scanners and drones the locals used for security, and Nubby took fumbles to the park. The Psyker had been having trouble with the alien minds around him. He could look into them, but couldn't really understand what he saw. In Nubby's suggestion, he got some practical experience by sitting in the local park and invasively probing around random Xenos as they passed by. In retrospect, this might have been highly unethical and dangerous, but no demons respond during the practice, and only two Xenos suffered serious psychological damage. So we called it a success. Also, Nubby came back with a fair bit of cash after these trips. We didn't ask how. The start of our third week on the planet marked the end of Sarge's patience, and a call was put into the ex-inquisitor. None of us heard what the two men said to each other, but after a quite long discussion, Sarge came back and told us that we'd received information soon, that we'd receive information soon, and there was a way that we could speed the process up. Weebu had two sources of information that he hadn't tapped yet for one reason or another. If we checked them out, it could save him some time and effort. One lead was a moderately large bounty hunting organization operating out of a nearby city. The other was a merchant shipping con conglomerate. I don't know why I struggled to say conglomerate so much. Uh, the bounty hunters had supposedly been grabbing a few of the deserters that wound up on this planet, and the merchants might have records of seeing a rogue trader ship. We decided to visit the bounty hunters first. It was a shorter drive, and there were more our sort of people. In retrospect, Weeboo had probably intended us to infiltrate the bounty hunters or tap their comms or something else sneaky, not kick down the door and demand to know where the deserter's at. It was his fault for not being specific, though. Well, we didn't actually kick any doors down, and our grammar was a bit better than that, but, the, but that was the general theme of our investigation. Why bother prancing around to find out what they knew without them noticing? They were bounty hunters. They were one step above criminals, and 
and the only things they respected were money and violence. Might as well talk to them in our their own language. The only nod we made to subtly, subtlety was wearing the scan-proof trench coats. Tink had spent so much time and money making. Had spent so much time and money making. It was only... Sorry, it was very small nod to more of a shrug, actually, because the coats were mostly a way to conceal the fact that we were all armed to the teeth as opposed to hiding us. We figured the plants, weapons, laws were all well and good for public safety, but they really shouldn't apply to us. We've got a list of the hunter's main hang- hangouts and watering holes, put the adepts in charge of watching the comm network for incoming trouble, then went out to be inquisitive. The plan was simple. The infiltrator would go in first with fumbles and twitch to scope out the place. The second they pinpointed the boss or called for backup, Sarge, Doc, and Nubby would come in and explain to everyone that the difference between a nice bar and a corpse-filled ruin was whether we left the information we wanted. Tink would stay in the truck and be ready to drive us away if things got too hot. Everyone whose opinion mattered thought this was an excellent plan. We all congratulated Sarge on being the most tactically skilled interrogator of any of us they had met. The first stop on our little information hunt was a rather shabby towel building, which was obviously the Xenos equivalent of a shitty bar. Our advance party walked in and immediately picked out a big mother in Xeno armor, and the slit head he was talking, he was arguing with as the guys in charge. That sounds bad. Is that bad, slit head? I'm no, because they sure have it's... like a they have a slit in their head. I'm pretty sure it's a okay. fictional slur, which means it's cool to say. It yeah. sounds like a fictional. It's slur. like a it's like a they have a pussy in their forehead. They kind of. Uh, and Sarge they're blue. got his. They're blue. Okay. Just to be just blue to be man group. Yeah. Sarge got his game face on. Stalked through the bar to the big guy and demanded to know where the deserters were going. The big guy looked Sarge up and down, sneered, and told him to get lost. Completely missing the fact that Nubby had circled behind him. Nubby's kick caught the bounty hunter in the in the groin and bent him double. Sarge's uppercut straightened him back out, and Doc's grab caught the towel before he could leg it. The entire bar went quiet as the burly non-com turned to glower at the struggling Xenos and repeated his question. The Tau shot a glance at the unconscious man at the bar, obviously decided the odds weren't in his favor, and babbled something that none of us could quite understand. Sarge had to translate, had to stand there. I, I looked way ahead on that line. Sarge had to stand there and glower for a bit longer while the Xeno adept listening in translated for him causing the alien to start shaking and babble a few more things, which in turn made the glowering last even longer. Eventually, the Adam just told that the Xenos knew nothing about deserters and suggest we let him go before he had the Tau equivalent of a heart attack. Sarge picked Tau up by the... The Tau up by the front of his armor, hefted him into the air with one hand, and tossed him over the bar. Doc quietly told the groaning Xenos to stay down, while Sarge announced that he would, he'd would he be going through the entire bar until someone gave him an answer. Everyone thought this over. Then a weaselly-looking man bolted for the exit, while a few others drew shock balls. Twitch pegged the runner with the chair, and the yeah, rising down Yeah, Twitch peg, Twitch peg. I, no, 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 you needed to let me just say that one. Peg. <laughs> no, no laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like pegging, haha. <laughs> the rising bounty hunters found themselves looking down the barrels of half a dozen las pistols. Nubby grinned evilly and asked everyone to line up single file and have their answers ready. 
Ten minutes later, we left the bar, secure in the knowledge that bounty hunters could listen to reason and that no one there had known a single fucking useful thing. Well, no one, maybe the runner or the big guy had known something, but they hadn't woken up by the time we finished and we did not feel like waiting. We still had a lot of other bounty hunters left to inquisit. The second bar went a lot like the first, except this time Sarge just led with a sucker punch and the meanest looking guy there instead of bothering to ask anything. Once again, there were a few slow learners, but a little violence got the point across before we had to kill anyone. Uh, hell, we actually patched up the idiot who tried to stab Sarge in the back after we got the knife out of his hand and the table Sarge had nailed it to. All in all, it was a very smooth operation, and we even scored a couple names. Word of our little tour was apparently traveling ahead of us because of the third and fourth stops, they actually had someone waiting at the door with a list of everything they knew. It wasn't much more than the names we already had and directions towards where they might be found, but Fumble said no one was lying, so we bought everyone around on the way out. It was sort of gratifying to have everyone bowing and scraping being the big fish and not having to fight for everything is really nice it's a real shame the last group of bounty hunters weren't on the same page as the rest of them but uh fuck what can you expect from a bunch of feral xenos the last stop was the one everyone had been giving us directions toward apparently it was where the big boys hung out we pulled up to an odd Tau building, which looks like a cross between a gambling den and a kennel, and once again we found people waiting for us at the door. These guys weren't quivering in their boots, like the rest of them had been. They were a pair of scarred brawler types, and each was carrying a weird staff with a hooked blade on an end, picture in the right showing. Uh, they didn't try to keep us out. As we approached, one of them came forward and said the boss was waiting to see us. We accepted their invitation and entered the building through a hallway that had been recognized that we'd recognized as a weapon as a weapon scanner in the middle. It was flanked by two Tau bodyguards and a pair of ugly dog things with beaks. They looked a bit like critters that infested the occurrence borders hydrophonics base. The crude. Uh. At Sarge's signal, everyone slowly pulled out their last pistols and removed their power packs. The pistols were set in a bin near the scanner, and the packs went into the outer pockets on our trench coats. Then we all filed through the scanner. The scanner made a few quiet beeps, and the hounds growled at us, but the guards waved us through. Fumbles casually tapped his comm bead twice, and Sarge smiled to himself. The room at the end of the hallway was dark, smoky, and smelled alien. A bunch of bounty hunters, mostly slit heads, were lounging around some low tables with a few more of the hound things. It looked to be a total of 15 potential hostiles, plus three xenos we could barely make out in the far corner. All of the humanoids had one of the spiky staves. Uh, staves? 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 Staves. Staves? Staves. But Twitch and Fumble said they didn't see any guns. Not the best odds, but we'd survived far worse. Sarge grimly led us to the Xenos and found himself glowering upwards as they rose to their feet. All three were green, half a meter taller than Sarge, and looked exactly like the picture we'd seen in training labeled Crute Carnivore. Alright. That's five rounds. Are we, uh, are we, are we cutting it there? Or was I that think that four? works out pretty well. It's nice little, nice yeah, little because, because ne ne next, next, next episode we'll start with the famous line. Okay, that's a good place yeah. to stop then. All right, you like guys kind of are going to get a five-second <laughs> break, probably less, but we are going to get a 24-hour break. So we'll see you tomorrow. Good night. And we're and back. We're back. Yeah. Matt, you drew out your back a little too long. <laughs> yeah, that was the point. We needed some variation. Yeah. What, you want us to be four robots? Four little same dick size. I drew out and, so... 
I, 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 I think I, I think I was trying to match you specifically, and Matt was throwing me off. No, you should probably march to the beat of your well, own. You, yeah, you, yeah, you I shouldn't match other people, sheeple. Well, we told you when just, the recording starts, say it. I know. I was <laughs> still caught up. I, I, I wasn't prepared for the thing you we, told me to prepare for. We're, Fuck we're you. I still did other. it. Uh, I was just trying to sync up, okay? That's what I tend to do when, when I'm told to talk at the same time as someone else. All right. Oh. This liberal cuck. So no okay, shit. Let's go. There we were. In the middle of a bounty hunter den, having a staring contest with three crude carnivores. I think it surprised the hell out of them that not even one of us flinched. They were probably used to people running for the exit when they all loomed over them like that, or at least taking a step backwards. Honestly, though, these guys didn't impress us. We'd worked for, killed, and in one case, eaten scarier things than a bunch of taller-than-average Xenos. Hell, they didn't even make the top 20. Smelled horrible, though. Sarge matched their glares and asked if they were the ones capturing deserters. One of the crew let out a cackling laugh, and in terrible low gothic, said they were and asked what we were going to do about it. It'd be cool to say Sarge and the Xeno then exchanged some witty banner, trading threats and clues and all that. Unfortunately, Sarge's Tau was about as bad as the Xenos' Gothic, so most questions had to be repeated three or four times in both languages, and eventually they just called over one of the human bounty hunters to act as a translator. Everyone kept glowering and talking in their most threatening voices, though. Nobody was going to let something as trivial as a massive language and cultural barrier get in the way of their intimidation attempt. Now, I just want to say, I, I, Jake is probably the only one who's going to understand this joke, um, but what what I imagined in this situation is one of them is speaking in, like, a thick, like, Welsh accent, like the ones where they say stuff and you have no idea what they're talking about, and then um, uh-huh. Jake sent me this video of mo- most illiterate Floridian, um, where this guy yeah, attempts fucking... to say words like authoritarian, fascist, and Benito yeah, Mussolini and butchered them all. It was um, it it was uh, Aiden Ross reading the Wikipedia page on fascism. He 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 was like, "Let me Google. I don't even know what it, I don't even know what fascism is. What's fascism?" And then the the thing popped up, and he went, "Fascism is a far right uth- uth- authorization ult." Ultra, 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 ultra Nathaniel political <laughs> ideology and movement, and it's just, it just gets worse every second. And then it, it oh. shows author of fascism Benito Mussolini, and he's like Benito Mussolini. Oh my! And then, God. He, and then he's like Gio, Gio Giannino Gavanti and Jason Stanley. Who the fuck is Jason Stanley? <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't know jason stanley is the author of the book how fascism works okay I had oh no man idea. and then and then that's really um that's that's that people also ask uh what is an example of fascism and he goes well see this is easier what's an example of fascism and then he sees the nazi party led by and he goes <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> oh my god dumb people is so funny oh i'll see if i can get the clip because it's yeah, please. it's so painful please get the clip it sounds it's, awful i don't want to watch it it's so painful i love it 
It sounds awful. I don't want to. Did I send it to you on Twitter? You send it to me Twitter? on Discord. Oh, Twitter. Twitter. Oh, I, 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 think you you said, I think you mean I showed it to you in Fanon HQ, where we all work together like a sitcom. Oh, yes. You, you, you. Uh, I remember specifically because you, you were, you had the banger response to it that uh, Mussolini has never been more mutilated. <laughs> Mussolini's <laughs> never been more mutilated. And then I don't know if you've ever seen the Norm Macdonald Adolf Hitler clip. Um, but I, I sent him that as well, where I, I will post it and I, or I will I'll put it on the TV in Fan and HQ for you guys. Oh, to thank see. you. It's it's so funny. There's something about his eyes. They're they're like they're almost black. He's got very endearing. Uh, hold on, what's this say? <laughs> he hates Jews. <laughs> It's so funny. But yeah, most literate Floridian is so it's so it's so painful to watch. <laughs> I can't right, who's wait. next in the order? I don't remember. Did you finish your did you, did you even finish your little paragraph? You finished. Yeah, I did. Oh uh, yeah, okay. Next? No, it was Kai. It was Kai, it was Matt, me? and me. Oh yeah, we switched up the order. That's right. Yeah, Sergio was like, let's go for an order of Zencaster. And then we were like, Zencaster's different for everybody. All right, let's go. Uh, once the translator was in place, things started flowing a little more smoothly. Everyone was able to question and threaten each other to their heart's content. Sarge asked who was paying the deserter's bounty. The crude on his right said it was someone on the neighboring pro-Tau world and asked if we'd like to meet him. Sarge asked why the bounty hunters would do that for us, prompting some more cackling laughter from Crute and an assurance that their buyer was always in the market for more guardsmen. They'd even split the bounty with us if we came quietly. While Sarge processed the threat, Doc cut in, denying that we were guardsmen and explaining that we were fellow bounty hunters. After another bout of laughter, their biggest Xenos walked over to him and inhaled deeply. <gasps> if we weren't guardsmen, he asked. Oh, yeah. I did read that right. If we aren't, if we weren't guardsmen. What was with that overly dramatic inhale you did? Said it walked over to him and inhaled deeply. So. Okay, well, I just I didn't know you were going to include the the deep inhalation. I had to. Um, it was very greedy for air, and I like that. I like greed of air. Okay. Got to steal the air from the fucking Floridians. Hey, I'm right here. I can, I would go leave at any time. I would go at least far- ten years before you're a native Floridian. That's I would true. go as far to say that I am the most literate Floridian. You really oh, are. Because I read books. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've read a book in your life. I've read a book. If we weren't guardsmen, he asked, why did we smell like Lasgun's explosive MREs and paranoia? Doc fumbled for an answer, and the crew went on to suggest that maybe he was mistaken about what those smells meant. Maybe they meant we were a dance troupe, or a bunch of ecclesiarchs, or... A, the Inquisition. 
In retrospect, it was a joke, about on par with asking, who do you think you are, the bloody Inquisition? But with the language barrier and everything else, we didn't really get it. Everyone kept their poker faces, though, except for Doc, that is. Between the sinister laugh the crew have, and two and a half meter carnivorous alien towering over him, the medic interrupted this as an accusation and panic. Oh, interpreted this as an accusation and panic. See, I'm not literate either, and I'm not even from Florida. Um, this wasn't some raw recruits panic, though. He didn't scream, oh, Emperor, they're going to kill us and run for the exit. Doc calmly, while holding eye contact with the crew, put his hands through the bottom bottomless side pockets in his trench coat, gripped the hotshot las gun slung across his chest and blew the Xenos in half. Uh, based. Oh, I hope that that our Warhammer episodes get a lot of views soon. Now that uh, now that Dark Tide is out, if you like Warhammer and you haven't played Dark Tide, play Dark Tide because it's like if the All Guardsmen Party was serious and not always a joke. Which is how most Warhammer media is, by the way. Most Warhammer media is not that is not really funny. Fan yeah. Warhammer Media is really funny though, because it's yes. so not funny when you're reading it. Yes. No, there's some really funny dialogue in Dark Tide. You have to give it to it. That's true. There is some funny dialogue in there. Also, am I next or are you next, Jacob? I, I miss I miss You are next. You You Soldier so Boy Alright. Doc's uh, outburst caught everyone but Twitch by just as much surprise as the bounty hunters. Luckily, they hadn't been expecting a fight or even thought we were armed. Three cheers for the primitive Zeno's notion of gun control. It made everything so much safer for those of us who ignored it. Our little interview came to an end, and the room practically exploded around us. Doc walked his fire over the second crew, while Twitch, who had been literally expecting this from the second he entered the room, perforated the third... That wasn't quite enough to put them down, but they only managed a slaggering pair of swipes that Sergeant W. both dodged before the second volley finished them off. As the rest of the bounty hunters rose to their feet and seized their weapons, all of us ruined the scan-proof coat Tink had made for us by hip-firing right through them. The only reason it wasn't a complete slaughter was that a few of the smarter ones ran instead of trying to rush us. We gunned down the bird dog things first and shifted towards the stupider bounty hunters as they closed in. Between four heavy las guns, a pair of pistols, and fumbles body puppeting one of the few humans, none of them managed to lay a hand on us. <clears throat> Doc did catch a thrown beer bottle to the face, though, but it missed his eyes, and Nubby assured him his girlfriend wouldn't mind a few small facial scars. And while we all brought guns to a knife fight, Tink got the truck's engine running and the cogitator adept calmed us. He warned us that the police had dispatched a pair of cars to check out the noise and recommended getting the fucking hell out of there. We were almost to the truck when the police, when a, when the uh, police skimmer landed across the road from it and two officers, a tow and a human, stepped out of it and launched a pair of drones into the air. Tink evaluated his chances about running their flying car with his rental ground truck and then poked his last gun out through the driver window and aimed it at the rear of their car. One thing that I will give uh, credit to for this story and Dark Tide both is that the Psyker experience is synonymous with Dark Tide and also the All Guardsmen Party, where psychers just blow up sometimes. They do, and it's really funny. <laughs> they do, and it's really funny, yes. 
Now, at this point, we'd all been a few lectures on Tau technology and understood the general concept of drones, but everyone was still a bit fuzzy on the specifics. For instance, Tank couldn't immediately spot the difference between a camera drone sent to check out a crime scene and a sniper drone sent to provide overwatch for two isolated officers. About a second after the overcharged plasma bolt left his gun, the difference was made clear to him as his world turned into a haze of blue light and burning heat. The sniper drone must have been set to automatically try to disarm or suppress hostiles and was, or wasn't smart enough to aim for the gunner instead of their weapon. Instead of blowing Tink's head off, it had put a burst right through his plasma gun as he charged it for a second shot. Now, plasma guns are sturdy things. They're designed to keep working for centuries, after all. So instead of exploding in a giant fireball and killing Tank, it just started venting superheated gas through two new cooling ports it had acquired. From Tink's point of view, this was hardly an improvement. The angle of the shot meant that one plasma geyser was spraying directly upwards into his face, and the other one was aimed at his lap. Cock plasma burns. To make matters worse, he was sitting in an enclosed space with two with with, two, with those two geysers and couldn't employ the usual, usual I can't fucking read, I am, I am Floridian, plasma gunner tactic of just dropping the thing. Not if he ever wanted to have kids anyways. He's getting the the big boss Metal Gear Solid 3 testicular experience, Matt. Only instead of nuclear radiation to the balls, it's fucking plasma. So in a panic to get away from the burning pain, the techie did the only thing he could think of. He threw the plasma gun as hard as he could out the window. On the other side of the street, the two police officers were trying to get back on their feet after their car exploded behind them. Their ringing ears heard a shot, a scream... A growing, roaring noise, a second shot, and a thunk. Then the plasma gun, venting in four directions now, landed between them. Hmm. We exited the building to see two screaming police officers trying to scramble away from something. Imagine a leaking balloon or a punctured gas canister. Picture the random way it spins and sticks around. Now imagine that instead of harmless gas, it's spraying blue fire. Everyone stopped and watched for a second, just trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Then Tink screamed at us to watch for the drones. The drones must have been equally confused by the bouncing plasma gun, because both of them were just hovering over the scene, making them easy targets. We shot them down, started piling into the truck, then out again, then in again, then out again. Eventually, we managed to pull the half-blind tank out of the driver's seat and replace him with the infiltrator, retrieve the now sputtering plasma gun from between the moaning officers, and drive away before any more police showed up. As we drove, the cogitator adept calmed and told us that he'd spotted the bullets in front of truck's transponder code, but not the description, thank the emperor. So as we drove away at exactly the speed limit, Doc saw the tank's burns, and the techie had to walk Twitch through yanking out an, our transponder, replacing it with the one that Nubby had gotten for us during one of our little walks in the park. Once the switch was made, we pulled up to another truck, tossed the transponder into their bed, then drove in the opposite direction at the next intersection. A few minutes later, the adept confirmed we'd shaken pursuit and we were cleared to turn to base. Sarge breathed a sigh of relief and began filling the base team in on everything that happened and asked what they knew about the planet the crew had threatened to send us to. While he talked, Tink sat on the floor and grumpily poked at his busted plasma gun. Fumble tried to cheer him up and only got a spanner chucked at his head for the trouble. The moment we arrived at our warehouse, Weeboo calmed us and requested that we stop by his office, preferably before we did any more damage to his city, planet, or police force. Given the timing, it was obvious that he had someone watching us, so there was no point in trying to pretend we were busy or dead or not on the planet. We got everyone into our backup vehicle just in case the truck was still hot and went to get yelled at by a fat old man in a dress. 
the ex-inquisitor wasn't doing the whole peace, serenity, and interracial tolerance tolerance thing today. The second he ent- we entered, he was on his feet and barking like the enraged bulldog of an inquisitor he must have been before all the soft Xenos culture went to his head. Sarge took the lead and weathered the tirade with his usual stoicism, until Weebu shifted from insulting our idea of su- subtlety to blaming us for the murder of seven people. Sarge firmly denied doing any such thing, playing the serious interrogator to the hilt, but the effect was spoiled by Twitch and Nubby both adding that they started it, and it's not murder if it's Xenos anyways, it's like pest control or something. Boy, and we thought he would piss, he was pissed before that. The tirade went on for a while. Other high points included him accusing Tink of attacking two police officers, which Tink firmly denied. Phrases like, you blew up their car and hosed them with plasma, were countered with, it was an accident, I didn't know they kept the fuel there, and it's their fault for having the flying saucepan shoot my plasma gun. The real clincher was when Weebu listed off the various injuries the officers had suffered, and Tink replied that he'd lost his favorite gun, his eyebrows, and his best pair of pants. That choked up the ex-inquisitor and started a downward slide from rage to depression. When he was finally calm or morose enough to stop shouting, our adept stepped in and explained the information we'd gathered. The change in Weebu's attitude when we told him where the bounty hunters were taking guardsmen wasn't huge, but it was noticeable. He started typing at his cogitator, and in between complaints about how no one under the age of 150 understands what patience or subtlety are, asked us to repeat the information. He then asked for recorded evidence and testimony from Fumbles that the crew hadn't been lying. There was a lot of typing and muttering after that, and the ex-inquisitor seemed to forget about us for a while. Eventually, he called a man, asked him to send a report, told him his report was wrong, then told him to get his ass into the office. A pale analyst type came in, and nearly had a heart attack when he saw the ten of us in there with his boss. He nearly had a second heart attack when Weebu introduced us as a bunch of psychotic man-children from the Inquisition but rallied quickly when he was asked several sociopolitical questions about a planet with a name that sounded like a venereal disease. Honestly, none of us really tried that hard to follow the discussion. It seemed pretty important, you know, kind of military, politicky kind of stuff, but we didn't know any of the background and couldn't pronounce half the frickin' names involved. We all just stood there, hoping the adepts were listening and keeping our mouths shut. It sounded like it was a real big deal that the planet in question had recruited bounty hunters and actually wanted deserters to come to their world, though. The discussion ended with all the participants triumphantly agreeing on some point and the analyst being sent to get 10 of something. Weebu turned to Sarge, assumed the sort of fruity voice he used when he was talking about Xenos culture stuff, and thanked us for visiting his planet. He appreciated our effort in the investigation, requested that we share any information we uncovered, and hoped we'd visit his humble office next time we were in the system. Sarge just stared blankly for a second. The conversation had left him behind about half a click back. I think that's kick, not click. But, you know, whatever. He hesitantly agreed that, yes, the planet was very nice and this office was well decorated, and then continued standing at attention. Weebu signed, sighed, I'm assuming, dropped the smile in fruity voice, and then told us to, quote, Get the hell off my planet. Thanks for the intel. Good luck with your mission. Don't forget to write, but get off my planet.
The analyst came back in at, in at this point and handed over a briefcase. Then the ranting ex-interrogator listed all of the things he'd been giving us. A full copy of their data on the deserters, a dossier of the planet, falsified IDs for all of us, and even tickets on the next, the first commercial transport heading to that planet so we could all lose, leave as soon as possible. In two hours, in fact. TikTok, don't let the door hit you on the ass. Sarge saluted the man as he stopped for breath, thanked him for his cooperation, and let us out through the back door. All in all, it went a lot better than we expected, and free tickets were an especially nice touch. They'd apparently get us to syphilis, or sylphus, or however you're supposed to pronounce it, in less than a week. Honestly, it was the most stylish way any of us had ever been kicked out of a place. We'd even spotted some government agents redirecting traffic to make sure we got on to, got to the shuttle port in time to, with time to spare. I really just can't read today. Nubby suggested we try for the same thing on the next planet. If we'd kept this up, we'd be able to pocket half of our operating budget without anyone noticing. The shuttle ride up was nice and relaxing with big comfortable seats and no obnoxious questions about what was in our bags. We boarded the ship without any, without anyone even asking why Doc looked like he'd been in a bar fight or Ting's face was covered with burn solve. And we were allowed to carry our own bags to a series of cabins reserved for our private use. We Boucher knew how to get someone off a planet without incident. It's a commonly known fact, at least if you suffered through enough classes on Tau technology, that Tau ships are not as good as Imperial ones. This is partially because they're pathetic Xenos, and everything that produces is inferior to the honest labor of humans. But because they stay the hell away out of the warp when they travel, and wind up going much slower than an Imperial vessel. Although it's much, it's a much less well-known fact that this makes traveling in one much more pleasant. Let me tell you, out of the commissars hearing that any trooper with the sense that he was born would gladly take a longer-than-usual void trip over having their soul devoured by demons. There were no bad dreams, no bleeding statues, no wordless whispers, and no minor demonic horrors clawing at the sealed bulkhead to Cargo Bay G-19. Top of that, the ship was clean and well lit. Nothing spontaneously exploded or shot lightning at us in the hallway. And if the gravity was a little light, at least it all pointed in the same direction. It was the best void trip we've ever been on, at least for the two days. We'd been entertaining ourselves the usual ways and generally avoiding the ship's crew and other passengers. Tink tried to fix his plasma gun. Doc tried to fix Tink. Twitch locked himself in one of the bathrooms and refused to come out. And Sarge helped the adepts go through the data we'd been provided. Nubby kept making trips to the rest of the ship, though, usually taking fumbles with them. And when a nervous crew member asked Sarge to please keep them both confined to their rooms, he started asking the infiltrator to visit the rest of the ship. We found out why on the fourth day. When, after everyone spent the third day... Feeling alternatively pissy, depressed, and nauseous, Doc took a good look at Fumbles. On the list of phrases you never want to hear, why is our psyker going through withdrawal? It's pretty high up there. Fumbles was a pretty good telepathic psyker, but he had a sort of problem. Actually, he had a few problems, but the biggest one was that he really couldn't turn his powers off. The psyker tended to broadcast at a very low level whatever emotions he was currently feeling to everyone within a 20 meter radius. This made him a blast at parties, but could cause some problems at other times, especially if you were stuck for long periods in that radius. When we'd first met the poor guy, he had sort of a depressive feedback loop going. But he'd been doing much better since he partnered up with us. We put it down to positive reinforcement and our squad's fun-loving demeanor. In retrospect, though, the psyker had really started cheering up after he began hanging out with Nubby all the time. Fumbles had apologized for making everyone miserable, but said that Nubby had promised to get him more antidepressants soon. In quotation marks, antidepressants. Judging by the way everyone's head ached and entire body itched now, Doc was reasonably certain that whatever he'd been taking was a little stronger than an antidepressant. 
when Nubby was pried out of Twitch's bathroom, where he fled when Docs first started looking at Fumbles, Sarge hauled him out into the hallway and had words with him. The poison of choice turned out to be Gladstones, a moderately strong upper and banned from use by serving guardsmen under Section 114B of the Astro Militarium's Laws and Ordinances. Possession was five lashes and a month in the brig. You know, Dis- honestly, there's a very high chance that that is a real rule in the Imperial Guard, um, like, books that you can buy. The, uh, like, like the Astro Militarium Law and Ordinances, like, probably books that you can buy. Look it up. Research. Research, mm-hmm. research, research, research. Research, research, research. Hold on. I'll continue Stop. reading, but let me know when I'm done. Distribution was 30 and 10 for the first offense. Summary execution for the second. It wasn't exactly the worst thing he could have been giving the little guy, but they still had some pretty nasty lows, especially considering some of their withdrawal effects could last for months. Jesus. Unfortunately, there was not a thriving black market on the Tao's merchant vessel. Doc did his best with what he had, but saying the rest of the trip was unpleasant doesn't really do it justice. After a few more days spent going through withdrawal by proxy, we arrived at the planet that we'd agreed to just call Protow World. As we got off the shuttle planet side, we realized that Weeboo's assistance only applied to getting us off of his planet. Oh, I can't find anything. This one. Several official inspector types were waiting by the exit and were very interested in what was inside everyone's bags. There were similar weapon laws on this world as the last one, but this time we didn't have someone in the local government covering for us. Sarge desperately tried to think of a way to get around the checkpoint before the rest of the passengers got off and left us stand there alone and obvious. Unfortunately, between the time pressure and a pounding headache, that was definitely not his fault. The best Sarge could think of was to ask our strong outsider to make the guards fucking forget about us or something fumbles gave it a shot but lived up to his name both us and the checkpoint guard spent the next several minutes trying to remember what the fuck we were doing there why we all felt vaguely embarrassed and who the impressively miserable looking man sitting on the floor in the middle of us was eventually everyone remembered what was going on and the guards asked us what the hell the holdup was sarge picked up his bags with a sigh and quietly asked us if we'd rather lose all of our weapons, or get in a shooting war with the local government. The vote was 3-2 to two in favor of surrendering our weapons when the adepts, who hadn't even been asked for an opinion, suggested we let them sort things out. We grudgingly let them take the lead. None of us could see any way that talking or cogitator expertise could get us around a planet's weapons laws, but at least it had let us put off losing our toys or being shot at for a couple minutes. Needless to say, we were shockingly, incredibly surprised when the guards just waved us through the checkpoint without a single inspection about five minutes later. <clears throat> the brainy, talky side of the team was rather smug about getting us through with our gear intact, but they didn't rub our noses in it too hard. The old diplomat never did explain how he talked to the inspectors talked the inspectors around. When we asked, he just vaguely claimed it was one of the tools of his trade and refused to bore us with an explanation. We accepted this non-answer, and Sarge asked on our on behalf of all us guardsmen and himself as the team lead what we could do to thank them for saving our bacon. They suggested that it would be nice to have an actual safe house with plumbing and heating and everything on this planet. You know, instead of camping out inside of a disused warehouse filled with mines and razor wire again. It was a bit musk, m- musk much to ask from us, especially Twitch. But let it never be said that guardsmen don't understand the concept of gra- gratitude. Despite our previous experience, this place was harder to get 
to get used to than the last. The planet was the most vocal Tau supporter in the cluster. Only the odd pol- political situation that forced the whole cluster to hang together kept it from joining the Empire outright. As it was, though, the locals annoyed their neighbors by constantly telling everyone that the Imperium would doom them all and becoming part of the Tau Empire was a part of their only hope. These guys were obviously trying way too hard to be a sept. It was probably embarrassing for a regular Tau to visit here. The signs were in Tau, almost all the buildings were Tau architecture, and you couldn't walk five meters in a city we hold up it without seeing posters and billboards about the greater good. The real kicker, though, was that there seemed to be a lot less of the actual Xenos themselves here. It was all these weird humans with glazed expressions and stupid hairstyles. Surprisingly, though, it wasn't that hard for us to fit in with the locals. You see, the entire place, from the spaceport to the streets to the bloody corner store, was filled with ex-guardsmen. Seriously, either Weebu hadn't actually been looking for deserters those two weeks, or the guys who got sent here were complete idiots. All you had to do was look out the bloody window. There they were, wearing Xeno's clothing with the same stupid smiles and haircuts as the rest of the locals. But it was just so incredibly obvious they were guardsmen. Hell, even if you didn't know what a guardsman looked like, there were posters every few meters inviting political refugees to earn citizenship by signing up with the gooey vase washo of syphilis or something like that. None of us can pronounce the bloody moon speak to save our lives. We just called it the pro-tau PDF. So the local PDF were pretty aggressive about recruitment, especially if you were a guard deserter. There were posters and vid ads to start with. Then there were pamphlets everywhere. And the worst part was these random people who would walk up to us and ask if we had enlisted yet. Despite all of it, it wasn't really as bad as being on an Imperial world during a serious recruitment drive. For one thing, no one snatched us off the street. Drug dust and threw us onto a shuttle for a one-way trip to the nearest Munitorum world. It was still annoying as hell, though. It was almost impossible to get random people to leave you alone if they thought you were a refugee. We wound up putting a a lot more effort into disguising ourselves on that planet than anyone else we'd ever been. Anyway, we were pretty certain that most of the deserters had wound up on this planet, but it was hard to see why. It had been a very long trip to get there, and even if this planet was currently doing a recruitment drive to fight off whatever was raiding the cluster, it was unlikely that they'd been doing it back when all the guardsmen had originally deserted. We started with the what and when, and now we had the where, but the why and the who still invaded us. Sarge spent a lot of time with the adepts chewing over the data we'd begin we'd been given by Weebu and the stuff our cogitator adept started pulling off the local comm network. It was slow going and we all knew there was a quicker option, but none of us really wanted to try joining the PDF. Inserting ourselves into an entire army of well-armed hostiles didn't seem like a good idea. While Sarge did actual work, and Doc tried to deal with the ongoing effects of Fumble's withdrawal, Twitch did his usual thing, and Tink kept trying to fix his plasma gun. The techie had met his match, though. He just didn't have the tools or knowledge to repair the gaping holes the sniper drone had put into it. Watching his expression as he asked Sarge for permission and money to visit a local weapons expert was pretty entertaining. You could tell it actually caused him physical pain to admit that he needed help. The best part was that he even tried to make us promise not to tell the Cogboys back on the ship. We lied to him to make him feel better. The only consolation for Tink was that there wasn't a single ordained tech priest on the planet. He had he only had to ask for assistance from one of the shorter, fatter variety of local Xenos. The problem was that while Earthcast Tau were wizards with plasma, they also tended to worry about tedious things like weapon laws. 
Took a lot of work to find a disreputable armory, eating up a lot of the cogitator Adam's valuable time, as well as Nubby's valueless variety. But find one they did, and not too far away to boot. Sarge gave Tink his cash, and the the techile? Is it meant to be techie? Or is it techile? Uh, it's definitely techie. Techie. Okay. Got to be techie. No way And it's the no. techie bundled his highly illegal weapon into a scan-proof bag and went went out with Nubby and the infiltrator to have some serious tech heresy committed on his plasma gun. The rest of us weren't exactly waiting with bated breath, but when the away team returned, everyone came out of their various corners to see how they'd done. Tink breathlessly informed us that he had bad news and good news. The bad news was that it'd take at least a week to fix his gun, but the good news is that the repair is being done for free. Well, not exactly free, but sort of as a bonus thrown in with his other purchase. And the rest of us refused to ask leading questions about his other purchase. The techie triumphantly opened a shielded crate and pulled out a shiny new Tau drone and control system. Tink was rather disappointed when none of us gushed enthusiastically over his new toy and got defensive when Doc asked how much it had cost us. Sarge took a long look at the complex device, thought about how tight-fingered the Tau were when it came to their fancy hoity-toity technology, and growled at Tink to answer the damn question. The techie hesitantly admitted that he hadn't really looked that hard at the price tag. I mean, it had so many features. Why get hung up on something small like money? But rest assured, uh, but he tried to assure us that it had fit perfectly into the budget Sarge had given him. Doc winced as he recalled how Sarge had just handed over their briefcase full of Xenos money and told Tink to take what he needed, then led the retreat. As reamings went on, the one Tink got for spending three quarters of our mission's budget was pretty nasty. Nubby and the infiltrator weren't spared it either. Sarge said that between the three of them, they should have had at least one functioning brain. Eventually, he wound down and plaintively asked if there was any chance of getting a refund, voluntarily or otherwise. But all three idiots said the black market army had a fairly strict no-returns policy and some, some really heavy security for the no-returns policy. In the end, Sarge just put them in charge of making the cash back at some other point. Looking back on it, that decision was where things really started to go off the rails. Nubby was fairly good at making money, but the competent local police force had made it hard. He and the infiltrator did what they could, but they weren't making much headway and Tink was flat out useless. He kept running off to check his plasma gun and talk to the Earthcast weaponsmith, who he'd decided was female. The rest of us couldn't tell one xenogender from the other, assuming that they only had two, that is and found this even more revolting than his usual behavior around female tech priests. It gave him trouble, it kept him out of trouble, though, and, and gave he slash, and he slash C slash it gave Tink several lessons on how to use his fancy new scouting drone. So anyways, Nubby and the Infiltrator were having trouble refilling our budget, and in the end they asked for help from the rest of us. Well, to be more specific, they asked for help from Doc, who was currently acting as Fumbles's sergeantly appointed guardian nubby claimed he and the psyker had a good scam set up on the last planet and involved passwords numbers and xenos banking systems and didn't require any violence at all all he needed was to get running again and for doctor release fumbles from his medical clutches despite the fact that the little guy was still suffering fairly badly from withdrawal 
Doc considered the situation carefully, weighing his patient's current condition against the team's need for funds and how nice it would be to get out of the Psyker's aura for a while. In the end, he extracted a promise from Nubby not to give fumbles any more Gladstones, and then he sent the little guy off with the rest of the team when they left that safe house next morning. If he'd listened carefully, he might have heard Nubby telling Fumbles that Doc wouldn't mind if they got a little pick-me-up as long as it wasn't Gladstones, and they could even make a little profit while they were at it. Yeah, so that's how four members of our crack inquisitorial investigation team got arrested for trafficking prohibited substances and sent to ethical re-education camp. Took a while for the rest of us to figure out what had happened. The first hint was that when the Tau weaponsmith called us, Emperor knows why he, the idiot gave that Xenos our comm codes and asked why Tink hadn't shot up to pick his plasma gun. Sarge thought she actually sounded concerned and made a note to have a chat with the techie about the birds, bees, and the Inquisition stance on fraternization with Xenos and promised to calm Tink and see what was keeping him. Tink's comm was active, but he wasn't the one who answered it. One of the locals was too stupid to understand Gothic, babbled at Sarge until he handed the comm over to the Xeno expert adept. The adept exploded in a flood of Tau, ignoring Sarge's questioning looks and waving the other adepts to listen in. There's a lot of talking, a bit of shouting, and a general air of extreme panic. Sarge knew knew what it looked like when people were doing their job and provided some very real assistance by keeping Doc and Twitch from asking what all the noise was about. When the call finally ended in our favor from the sound of it, the adept stopped hyperventilating. They informed us that Tink's comm bead was currently being held by the Pro-Tau PDF. It would be returned to him with the rest of his gear after he faced basic re-education, became a full member of the PDF. Sarge facepalmed. A little cogitator work established that the rest of their comms were in the same location and turned up the arrest report. Doc swore loudly and venomously when he noticed that they'd been arrested for. What they'd been arrested for. See, I'm not the only illiterate one here. And Twitch suggested that Fumble's addiction was actually part of a complex Xenos, Xenos conspiracy to split us up and pick us off like this. Sarge told both the troopers to stuff it and canceled an emergency planning session. Called, called an emergency planning session. What is going on with my brain? Oh my god. Today, okay. we are all Fumbles. Yes, I'm always Fumbles, but this is worse than usual. Okay. The available options were limited. Either we busted them out before the Xenos messed, messed with their brains or rolled with this like it was our plan to infiltrate the PDF all along. If we went with the former, we needed to figure out a way to pull it off without blowing our cover to hell and bringing an entire army down on our heads. If we went with the latter, we needed to decide whether to go in all together or figure out a way to get in and make contact after the idiots went through their brainwashing. The adepts suggested going in together because it'd, it'd get us out of their hair sooner, and Doc was in favor of figuring out a way to infiltrate without getting brainwashed ourselves. Twitch was the only one who wanted to mount a rescue operation, but his whole plan was just to blow up as many PDF buildings as possible, pull our guys out of the rubble, and then declare the whole mission a success. Sarge made that plan B. In the end, Sarge decided with Doc, and we set up an observation post near the PDF's main base in the city. The basic theory was that we'd keep an eye open for ways to infiltrate and otherwise just wait for the latest batch of recruits to finish their brainwashing and get dumped there. Once we spotted some new faces in the base, we could look harder for our boys and see if they were in any condition to help us get in. 
In this case, observation post was mill-speak for a calf shop with a good view of the base's entrance. We spent two weeks taking turns sipping bad recaf and pretending to work on data states, data slates while we watched incoming traffic. Luckily, we didn't have to pay too much attention. The cogitator adept had taken ownership of Tink's drone and sent it up to the top of a neighboring building. Honestly, the drone saved us a hell of a lot of effort. It did most of the tedious watching and told us when interesting stuff was about to happen. All we had to do was frickin' be there to double-check things. We didn't even have to worry about it being spotted. The thing had this wonderful little stealth field built in. You couldn't see it at all if it didn't move. We considered forgiving Tink for paying so much money for it, but we then remembered why we were in our current situation in the first place and how unbearably awkward it had been collecting his gun and explaining his disappearance to the Tau weaponsmith. After two weeks of watching and some careful hacking from the Cogitator Adept, we had a few ideas for getting into the base. The plans ranged from simple to complex, and their success chances varied based on whether our teammates on the inside would be able or willing to help us get in, so we prepped them and waited to see how things would turn out. When a load of fresh recruits finally arrived, and we spotted the sawed-off form of Nubby jumping out of a truck, we got ready to move, and we tried our best to make contact. Unfortunately, it was really frickin' hard to get a message into the base, and it seemed like fresh recruits weren't allowed to frickin' leave. They were on the edge of trying the horribly, horribly, horribly bad idea of calling their sure-to-be-monitored comm beads and talking in code or something, when a senior-looking PDF trooper just walked right up to us in the calf shop. Twitch literally was seconds away from shooting our infiltrator. Sometimes it was easy to forget that we had a teammate who was supposed to be a master of disguise. According to our infiltrator, the locals weren't anything special when it came to brainwashing. All four of them had come through the process intact, mostly, and even had their gear returned. They had duties to perform in the base and were under a little observation for senior PDF members, but should be able to get us in without much trouble as long as we acted like guardsmen. He didn't think this would be hard for us. The next day, the infiltrator returned to us with some of some of the Taoish flak armor and tan fatigues that the locals wore, as well as some military IDs that only needed a little doctoring. He didn't even need didn't even need to provide authentic PDF weapons, which apparently until you were issued a fancy Tau gun, you were allowed to keep whatever you were originally trained with or switch to a, a switch for a nice local made LAS gun. The only thing that couldn't be carried right in the front door was a few of our heavy weapons, Twitch's stuff. Heavy weapons, Twitch's stuff. No matter how open minded you could get. You were, uh, you, no, no, no matter how open-minded you were, it was hard to ignore 25 kilos of high explosives. Luckily, the infiltrator claimed he could at least get one scan-shielded bag in if we needed it. We sent Sarge's nade launcher, Tank's stupid plasma gun, and as many explosives that could be fit in the, in the bag ahead, then finalized our plans with the adepts. They'd be staying in the safe house and monitoring us, of course. But the problem was that the PDF had some sort of fancy Tau jamming field all over the base. It blocked any unauthorized communications while the adepts could watch and plan. They couldn't talk to us or provide real assistance if shit went south. Our theory was that they'd just sit, collect data, and keep working on figuring out why deserters were here while we were inside. Why the deserters were here while we were inside. If they found out something important, they'd send... Tank's drone to find us. If we saw one of our targets, we'd send the infiltrator out to find them. Our plan as it was finalized. As our plan was finalized, we suited up and just walked into the front gate of the PDF base. So no shit there we were. 
undercover in the middle of a bunch of Xenos-loving traders, and the main thing we noticed was the place was almost exactly the same as a normal guard camp. Sure, it was a little cleaner, and there were a bunch of Tau tech lying around, but if you ignore the fact all the officers were short, blue, and had drones hovering around them, it all felt completely normal. Everyone was doing the usual chores and drills, and the gear was practically identical, and the food wasn't even better. It was a wonder these people had even bothered to desert. They were still in the bloody army, weren't they? The first thing we did after entering was collect our teammates and verify that they were in as good condition as the infiltrator said. Tink and Nubby were absolutely fine. In fact, they'd fallen right back to their usual roles when in the base. Which is to say, Tink was in the armory disassembling a Tau gun that he shouldn't have had access to, and Nubby was sitting on impressive cash with stolen and bartered goods at a disused supply shed. Nubby claimed that if he could find a buyer with actual cash, he was halfway to refilling our budget. Neither of them were trying particularly hard to ask brainwashed. Whoever was the brains of the operation was working counterintelligence. After they established that you were a guard deserter, they stopped looking for anything else and welcomed you in with open arms. After that, it was just a matter of parroting all the great good stuff. You didn't even need to parrot it well or speak the language properly. If you screwed it up, they just assumed you were an idiot. Speaking of idiots, neither of the guardsmen had bothered keeping track of fumbles, claiming that he wasn't in any shape to cause trouble. This didn't sound very encouraging, but Sarge refrained from slugging them, and we all went to go find our psyker before he did something warpy. We found Fumble sitting in a circle of PDF troopers and singing, if you'll believe it. He was wearing the same dopey expression as the rest of them, and a sort of idiotic happiness radiated off of him. He happily introduced us to his new friends and asked if we wanted to lead the next song. Sarge eyed the large group of smiling armed men, then politely declined and asked if he could borrow Fumbles for a while. No one put up a fuss as we dragged the psyker away, and we all kept smiling and nodding until we got around a corner, where Sarge started quietly dressing down Tink and Nubby. Doc took a good look at Fumbles and declared him to be low on sleep, low on protein, and high on something that was probably a Tau drug tailored to help with withdrawal symptoms. He claimed that a little talking, some basic care, and slow reduction of the detox drug, the bottle of which he took immediate possession of, would sort the psyker out in a few days. For now, though, it was probably best if he stayed in Nubby's storeroom where he wouldn't be missed. Our team finally collected. We sat around our dopey psyker and tried to plan our next step. Our end goals were still the same. Find out why so much trouble had been put into getting the deserters out here to join the PDF. Find out who the Tau that had led them was. Kill him and every senior defecting officer as well as the rogue trader if he was still around. In the short term, all we could think to do was fit into the routine in the base and use every bit of free time. We got to ask discreet questions. We probably wouldn't get anything from most of the troopers or the Tau officers, but if we got access to the command building at the far end of the base, we might find someone who knew something. Over the next week, we mostly learned how easy basic training was after you'd already done it once and how awesome everyone thought the greater good was. There were a few useful things mixed in. We managed to spot the traitor general we'd seen on our last mission leaving the command building one night. We learned that there were occasional meetings with a big league Tau politician in said command building and found out that the Tau firecastle who led this PDF army was a loan from the Empire and a personal friend of the politician. In fact, they were so friendly that a team of fire warriors under his command was permanently assigned to protect the politician. We suspected that the diplomat was the cloaked Xenos who'd led the desertion plot, but weren't quite certain. We also had a decent lead in the rogue trader. Most of the camp was all smiles and songs, but occasionally the fresh recruits that were dropped off just didn't 
quite fit in. They weren't put through a second brainwashing or quietly executed, like they would have been back in the guard. Instead, they were put on a shuttle that left once a week and took them to a mercenary outfit outside the cluster. It sounded fishy as frickin' hell, but some careful scanning by Fumbles proved that the officers, well, they, they believed it, so if there was really a mercenary company, we figured it was probably owned by the rogue trader that had been part of the desertion of plot. It's a well-known fact that you can't get much more mercenary than a rogue trader, after all. All right, we're gonna we're gonna pause. I'm gonna read these last two because I want to read the I want to read the second one as well because I'm a greedy little bitch. Okay, all right. So, if the mercenary was really the rogue trader, there was only three things we still needed to figure out. First was the location of the remaining traders' guard officer. He was just a major, but he still needed to die. Second, we needed proof that the Tau diplomat was the cloaked Xeno, so we could be sure we'd gotten the whole set. Finally, we still had no idea what the hell this was all about. As far as everyone we talked to knew, the army's only purpose was to protect the planet from whoever was raiding in the cluster. This sounded fairly reasonable, especially considering that even more raids had been reported over the months of our mission and had gotten all the civvies worked up, but at least we knew it was it, but we knew it was at least partially bullshit. The desertions had started happening way before the raid, so there was obviously something else going on, even if we were too stupid to figure out what it was. Luckily, we'd brought some smarter people along just for this sort of thing. We sent out the infiltrator with all our data and the adepts did a little digging. Mostly they looked into the Tau politician since he was both the public face of the whole operation and suspected mastermind of the desertions. According to them, he was an off-worlder who'd come from the Tau Empire and was one of the guys yelling the loudest for the cluster to join or ally with them. As far as us guardsmen could tell, this made him an asshole. But he didn't prove that he was our guy or explain what was going on, the diplomatic adept insisted all of it made sense though. In the end, we had to dumb it down a little. We ha He had to dumb it down a little before we followed the situation. By dumb it down, I mean he sent us vid of him acting with freaking sock puppets. There was a blue sock puppet that was supposed to be the Tau politician and a tan one that was acting as the rest of the cluster's political leaders. He seemed to be enjoying the fact that, he that we couldn't easily leave the PDF base and throttle him. All right. I will I, I will be Tau politician guy. Matt, will you be Imperium guy? Sure. Hi, I am Tau politician guy who might also be the secret mastermind behind the deserters. Hi, politician guy. I'm all the other politicians in the cluster. We are scared because raiders have been attacking our planets. I think we should all voluntarily join the Tau Empire for their protective protection. No, we don't know. We like being independent and worry that the either Empire will change our way of life and start a war. Well, we have to do something to protect ourselves. There's no point in avoiding a war if we all die to raiders. <gasps> if our armies aren't holding up the raiders and we have to join an empire, the Imperium is bigger and scarier. I don't think they would protect you. The Imperium doesn't care about anyone but humans, and I hear raiders are all humans. Maybe they even work for the Imperium. Oh, that's worrying. Oh, but we still don't want to join the Tau Empire. Well, I can't force you to join the Tau Empire, but what if you accepted their assistance arming and training your armies? You'd be able to protect yourselves, and there wouldn't be any big Tau Empire military bases to provoke the Imperium into war. Uh, that doesn't sound much better than our own armies, and it would give the Tau Empire a lot of influence over us. No, it is much, much better. With superior Tau weaponry and training your armies, 
In training, your armies can easily handle the raiders. See, look at my army here. Oh my god, that army looks impressive, but we still aren't sure it would do anything to stop the raiders. Watch, if the raiders show up near us, we'll kick them back off the planet and chase them out of the system. Hmm, if that works, we might listen to you about forming a partial alliance with the Tau Empire. Goodbye now. Ha ha ha, my master plan will make them all into slaves of the Tau Empire. We're back. Yeah, again. it's it's again. Yeah, it's the same day for the third time of us finishing yes. this story. Yeah, we've just yeah, we taken a, a five couple minute uh, break. snack breaks. Five minute piss break. Five really minute piss break. Really big piss. The biggest piss of my career. <clears throat> All right. So everybody getting our yeah critical mission data via sock puppets was demeaning as hell. But it got the point across better than the giant documents they'd originally sent. When the show was finished, we sat down together in Nubby's storeroom and chewed the situation over, trying to figure out what all the political info info meant for us and what our next step would be. Sarge wound up deciding to go with Twitch's current interpretation of events, which for once seemed fairly reasonable. His theory was that if the politician was the one who'd orchestrated the desertion and dragged them all the way out here, he was probably the one behind the raids too. What's the point of having an army if it doesn't have every, anyone to fight? This theory ne- neatly placed all the blame on one person, so if push came to shove, we could just kill him and call it a day. Of course, this all sort of hinged on us, the politician being the cloak Xenos, and Oaks was probably not going to accept, we were pretty sure as proof of mission completion. Furthermore, when we shared our general plan with the adepts, they insisted that we prove the politician was behind the raiders instead of just killing him. They said that given how many people had died in the raids, it would be a huge blow against the Tau Empire if we could prove they, or at least their supporters, were behind everything. This sounded like the sort of thing that the Inquisition was supposed to do, so Sarge reluctantly agreed, and we started planning ways to spy on meetings in the command building instead of just blowing it up. Twitch was disappointed. Sneaking into the compound building turned out to be much easier than it had originally looked like. Sure, there were Tau guards on the doors, and most of the staffers were slitheads too, but the place was cleaned and maintained by the recruits. At first, we thought that it would be necessary to get ourselves on the duty roster to get inside, and started figuring out how to arrange van... But then we found out the guards weren't checking IDs and apparently couldn't really tell one human from another. Hell, it seemed like their only real purpose was to keep anyone from entering the building armed, and they did that using a simple door scanner. A quick check even revealed that it was the same type of scanner we'd already fooled multiple times with scan-shielded bags and clothing. So yeah, it was pretty apparent that whoever was running security on this operation wasn't the brains of the outfit, or they were terminally trusting, or both. Anyway, we didn't look a gift horse in the mouth and quickly put together a straightforward plan for getting what we needed and getting out. We would figure out when the politician was coming for a meeting, bug the conference room, record him saying some really incriminating stuff, go in after the meeting and retrieve the device, then hand the recording over to the adepts and see if it was what they wanted. If that went smoothly, then we'd be clear to wait for his next visit then grab him or the traitor general when they went to the bathroom and have Fumbles rip the locations of the rogue traitor and last traitor office from their minds. After that, we could just blow the entire building up and escape in the confusion. It was a nice, simple plan, and we'd have everything in place for our backup strategy of just blowing the building up. The only way it could go wrong was if we'd missed something major or one of us completely screwed up. Unfortunately, we did both. The thing we missed was the fact that the politicians' bodyguards took their jobs so much more seriously than the other guards. When they entered the conference room, they didn't just do a quick visual sweep. 
They took out scanning tools and checked the place for power sources and data connections. Tink's little homemade bug showed right up, and the scanning guard went over to check it out. Meanwhile, our entire team, sans adepts of course, was in the supply room on the other side of the wall, listening in. Tink swore, told us we were busted, and recommended we bail before they did a search of the building. W and Twitch were already halfway to the door when Sarge vetoed this and told Fumbles to take a shot at fixing things. The Psyker lined up his target using the visual feed and his own ability to sense emotion, then cyclically commanded Bodyguard to forget what he was doing and go back to his post. He'd performed that particular mental trick twice already during infiltration, but this time, right at the critical moment, Fumbles failed. He, uh, he fumbled, you could say. Our entire oh. room's adjacent wall were instantly covered by a sheet of frost. That didn't phase the bodyguard Fumbles had been aiming for, but there were a few other people in the room. While the other bodyguard drew his weapon and covered the wall, the fire cast who led the PDF warned everyone there was a psyker nearby and told them to get out. Then, I shit you not, the traitor general yelled, It's Bane Jones! I told you he'd never stop chasing us! Grabbed the politician and sprinted out the fucking door. It would have been hilarious if we weren't so completely screwed. None of us even tried to stand and fight. We knew a FUBAR mission when we saw one. If they had any brains, their next steps would be to seal the base and start an exhaustive exhaustive search for us. And then they remembered, and if they remembered, Bane Johns, they probably remembered what we look like. So trying to be- blend in like we had been wouldn't work. We either needed to make it out of the base before they locked on the exit or find a damned good hiding spot in the base. First things first, though, we needed to get out of the building before we wound up trapped in it. Nubby and Twitch led us in an all-out sprint for the least guarded building exit. We were probably halfway to the door before bodyguards or PDF commander, before the bodyguards or PDF commander even thought to enact some sort of lockdown. Of course, seven men running through the hallways at a dead sprint attracted some unwanted attention. We couldn't really afford to have anyone speeding up the search right now. The infiltrator plugged a dumb recruit who got in our way with a silenced pistol. Sarge's clothesline broke the neck of a second. And, whoa, whoa, staffers. Tried <laughs> Tau staffers died with su- surprised expressions on their ni- on their faces and combat knives buried up to their hilts in their foreheads. Twitch and Nubby didn't even stop to pull their knives back out. There wasn't time. We hit the door about 20 seconds before the alarm sounded. The single Tau guard watching it started to draw his weapon. And then fumbles did something else irreversible to him, and we for- and he forgot we were there and most of his childhood to boot. We all felt a pang of guilt from the psyker. <laughs> Dirty psyching isn't pretty stuff, but at least that was the last casualty. <laughs> I believe that for some reason. I definitely believe that that was the last <laughs> casualty. There was no more after this. We could see this base's gates closing ahead of us, so at Sarge's signal, we slowed down, fanned out, and tried to look nonchalant as we walked towards Nubby's <clears throat> storeroom. There wasn't time for there wasn't time for a long debate of well, what to do next. The options were find a way out, hide, or fight to the death. Twitch suggested that that enough explosions would d- distract the gate guards, but Tink shot that down when he pointed out that the perimeter drones would never leave the post. Nubby volunteered a few hiding places, but he wasn't even confident that they'd hold up a serious search. Tink and the infiltrator started putting together a half-baked plan to impersonate an officer to steal an APC from the motor pool. Then were interrupted when Doc sprang to his feet and told everyone to shut up. Doc told the rest of us that there wasn't much time to explain. The only way this idea would work is if we move fast. We grabbed what gear we could easily carry and followed the medic as he let, led us towards the middle of the base. As we half-ran, Doc quietly explained that there was one exit that 
was never well sealed because it was supposed to be open to everyone free of judgment or reproof. The weekly shuttle that took the few troopers that refused to embrace the greater good to their new life as mercenaries had landed that morning and it was still on the pad. There weren't expected drones watching over the shuttle or even Tau guards, just a pair of recruits who were supposed to ask anyone if they were really sure they wanted to leave. Doc figured that if we got on the shuttle before the serious starts search started and the guards vouched that no one had come past them, then it would be allowed to leave on as its normally scheduled run. All we needed for this to work was a bit of luck, a little sloppiness from our pursuers, and for Fumbles to pull off two, two more pieces of psyching. At the back of our group, the Fumbles realized that this entire plan rested on him and made a small choking sound. We got Fumbles calmed down and took up a position a little way away <coughs> from the shuttle ramp. Each of us told the nervous psyker we believed in him. Then Doc gave the signal and everyone held their breath. One guard's expression immediately went vague. But as Fumbles tor- turned towards the second, a sort of dark foreboding felt as if everything was about to come crashing down around us. It didn't, though. The second guard's expression went vague, too, and then we shook off the e- uneasy feeling and casually walked up the ramp. Fumbles practically collapsed in grief. No, relief. I still can't read. Uh, when we turned the first corner, everyone took turns quietly congratulating the little guy as Nubby led us to a convenient spot for hiding unofficial cargo on this model of shuttle. Of course you still that- can't read. It's the same day as <laughs> oh, the yes. other reading, right? It's the yes, same it's, day. The same it's only day. five minutes later. Yeah. Well, it's been like two hours yeah. since we since we started reading, but it's been like two That's hours true. and five minutes, you know? <laughs> yes. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Totally <clears throat> hasn't been 24 hours. <clears throat> Our it's wait done. in that dark little like... compartment was long and nerve wracking, but it wasn't interrupted. A few hours after we boarded the shuttle, started making its pre takeoff noises and we all started breathing a little easier. Did I read that right? I don't know. Nubby pointed out that it seemed it sounded so correct that I believe you. Okay, okay. Nubby pointed out that it seemed fate was with us today and got told to shut up by everyone else. Since we seemed to be out of the woods, Sarge started thinking about the mission again. Despite the way we'd been forced to scrub the current op, the mission as a whole wasn't beyond salvage, and all in all, we were getting some good intel from the screw-up. In our minds, the traitor general yelling about Bane chasing us confirmed that the Tau politician was the cloaked Xenos. Furthermore, we were still on our way to confirm that the mercenary was company was actually the rogue trader and would probably be behind the raids as well. There's a lot of grammar issues here. Okay. As for the rest of our We're in the less edited ones, so it'll be fun. Yes. I've noticed Mm -hmm. that. But this one's... As for the rest of our objectives, hopefully all the time it'd take us to get back from wherever the shuttle was headed would let the situation groundside cool down enough for us to make another attempt. Of course, there was the whole traveling between planets without our own spaceship or funds thing, but that was just details. We, we could work it out on the fly. No worries. As we lifted off, Doc asked a question that hadn't occurred to anyone else. What the hell were the adepts going to think when we just disappeared he worried that the adepts might do something stupid to try and rescue us if they thought we'd been captured. They they really needed to be told what had happened. Sarge winced at the thought and pointed out we couldn't calm them. The PDF jammed everything but their own well-monitored frequencies and our short-range comms wouldn't work from space. While everyone speculated on how much it was going to suck for the adepts and whether it was worth it to try and sneak under the shuttle's bridge and us their box, us the box, 
Tink ripped out his combied and jacked it into the pocket data slate he carried. A few seconds later, he scared <coughs> the fucking shit out of everyone by yelling and jumping like an insane person. Once Twitch and Fumbles had been calmed down, Sarge grilled Tink on what all the excitement was about. The techie triumphantly told us he'd managed to get a plain text message out on the public channel between the time we left the PDF jamming radius and got out of the local comnet range. Doc congratulated him and asked what he'd sent in the message, only to get a lot of vague answers. Nubby yanked the data slate out of Tink's hands and read it aloud to the class. Mission went so bad, we're fine. Going to space to hide. Add investigate, but back in the SB to try again. Tell Earthcast girl I'm okay. Keep doing stuff, Tank. I didn't even realize. I was, I was trying to look at what OFBAD meant, and I was like, "Are those like abbreviations? Like fucked beyond all despair?" <laughs> <laughs> that works. I wish. I wish. But no, it's just bad. It's just fucked. It was sort of bad. Also, I have a question. This is totally unrelated. Does anybody else see the waveforms on Zencaster like super fucked up? Super. What do you no, mean? Sometimes they're, they're a little out of sync, but sometimes they're a little out of sync. But don't don't worry about it. They look uh, fuzzy to me. No, they do look a little fuzzy, but I don't know. I mean, they're fucking, they're fucking sound waves. I don't pretend to understand that okay. science bullshit. Fair enough. Keep going. The shuttle docked after a few hours of travel, and we snuck out of our hidey hole. A quick peek around revealed that everyone, even the pilot, had left the ship, and no one was guarding the exit. We hurried through the hatch and found ourselves standing in a fairly, fairly dingy shuttle bay that looked like it was part of an Imperial-style ship. It had the prayer seals and skulls and everything. Twink, Twink, uh, Twink made a quick check to see if we could steal the shuttle, but the bay doors were locked. Sarge decided it was probably time to do a little exploring and nearly headbutted a crewman as he peeked out into the passageway. The crewman didn't shout an alarm or, or act more surprised than you usually do when you nearly get a concussion. That probably saved his life. Instead, he asked if we were the last one from the shuttle and pointed us towards the bay where all the other dirt suckers were staying. Before we followed his directions, Nubby traded the man some smokes for a rundown on the ship and more info on our fellow passengers. Apparently, it was just a tramp freighter. Freighter? 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 Put in your input now, boys. Freighter or freighter? Freighter. Freighter. Okay. That's, freighter. That's that. Shut up. Plied the, that pl, plied the well-mapped warp lanes in the cluster, and there were about 40 other XPDFs on board. He really did say about. No one on the ship really paid much attention to their passengers as long as they stayed in their area. That suited us perfectly, and we happily went to join our fellows. It was remarkably easy for us to blend in with the XPDF. No one asked questions or even paid us much attention. We commandeered a pair of the partially furnished shipping containers that were acting as passenger quarters and made ourselves comfortable. A few hours later, we felt the ship's engines kick on, and that night we jumped into the warp, all without anyone saying more than 10 words to any of us. We sort of missed this sort of apathy in the PDF base. It was nice when no one gave a shit about what you did. Trigio. 
Traveling to the mercenary outfit took four days. We spent the, them maintaining our gears and forming vague plans for the next stage of the mission. Our neighbors mostly spent them drinking to drown out the whispers of warp travel, casually bitching about how the Tau were a bunch of sissies, speculating on how much money and sex they get as a mercenary. It was a very homey environment. When we exited the warp, a crewman came down and directed everyone towards the shuttle bay. The few XPDF who appeared to be having second thoughts or were too drunk to walk themselves walk there themselves were dragged along by cargo servitors one short shuttle ride later we are bigger much more grandiose bay being welcomed by a new life filled with money violence drugs xenos killing sex and more money the mercenary really did make a good recruitment pitch especially the part where he parroted the pdf's line about being free to leave at any time while gesturing at an airlock by the end of the speech everyone seemed to understand the situation it snappily fell into a line of few grizzled veteran types most of the rest of the day was spent in orientations of one sort or another and the usual army recruitment stuff. Uniforms and bunks were issued, schedules were handed out, and one or two random men were mercilessly screamed at for minor impossible imaginary infractions. Sarge watched all of this with approval and was only slightly marred by the fact that the Yeller was a vile traitor to the Imperium instead of an honest guardsman. To no one's surprise, the uniforms worn by the mercenaries were perfect matches for ones we've seen on the guards in a certain villa. Between that and the night's festivities, we all had the proof we personally needed. Seriously, it was announced as a celebratory post-raid feast. Don't forget to bring your best loot to show it off. Some rogue traders really don't go in for subtlety. There was a speech before the feast. It was given by the rogue trader and involved a lot of words like pillage and plunder. I have a question. Well, yes. Kai, have we ever explained to you what a rogue trader actually is? No. Are you confused on that at all? I mean... It's in the name. Yeah, they're it's just in... Yeah, they're, they're, they're like... They're not... They're, they're somewhere between pirates and merchants. Um, okay. So they, they just, steal they're, shit they're not, and then sell it. Yeah, not... I mean, not necessarily stealing... All the like they're they're generally good people. Sometimes okay. they're not okay. aligned with the Imperium, really. Okay, so that's what makes them rogues. Yeah, they but they like but them. they're still generally enjoyed by the Imperium because they bring like weapons and okay supplies and stuff. And they they obviously they don't like chaos because nobody really likes chaos. And you can't okay. really be a rogue trader while also having chaos on your ship because you just you can't get anything done. You know, they're just fucking and sucking all the time. It sounds like a good time to me. I don't know. Hey. Where was I? You can continue uh, now. While uh, everyone else was busy listening, Sarge asked the infiltrator, who was the only one of us the trader hadn't seen before, to try to get close to the senior officers and finding out where we were headed next. The man practically vanished as soon as Sarge gave the order. Later, we saw a familiar-looking server at the trader's high table, but we really weren't sure it was him. So while the infiltrator did the actual work, we enjoyed the party. There wasn't really much else to do. We ate, swapped some old war stories with the mercs, and successfully hid the fact that we weren't drinking. Much. Sarge kept an eye on all of us, making sure that we stayed under control and covering for Doc when the mercenaries' tales of horrible violence on defenseless Xenos made him sick. The party finally petered out at about four in the morning, when most parties do, and we all Does time regrouped. Pass in the warp? Does that work? Because the warp, it's—I mean, it's immaterial. Well, they still, no they still have watches con- or something, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but the warp kind of like. You can travel forward and back in time in the warp, so that doesn't really okay. work. 
Well, they're you going know, forward like you, then. You can you can go into the warp and then accidentally show up two weeks before you left, or you can show up like three years after you left. Even though for like you, it's okay. been like five minutes. Or you can go in for twenty years and then come out and it's like thirty minutes later. Okay. Well, they're just good at driving through it. <laughs> they're built different. They're built different. Um. We all regrouped with the infiltrator in a handy nook Nubby had discovered. He had three important pieces of intel for us. Firstly, our destination was the Protow world we just left, and the traitor, with his fast navigator-controlled ship... That was really weird to read, I don't know. I think I'm short-circuiting a little bit. ...was aiming to get there in two days. Secondly, the official commander of the mercenaries matched our description of the final traitorous guard officer to a T. Finally... The raid would not start immediately upon arrival. The ship's... Oh, God. How do you pronounce this? Where the ship... Se- where am I looking for? Senescal. Senescal. Senescal? Senescal is what it is, I'm pretty sure. Okay. What does that even mean? I've Senescal. never heard of That's this word is. before. Senescal. Yes, yeah, the steward or major domo of a medieval great house. Yeah, basically, okay. it's it's like a an administrator, someone who's Ain't major domo, the little brown furry guy from Roblox a decade ago. Yes, the ship's seneschal and the trader officer <coughs> would be going down. <coughs> make sure everything is in order with our employer. <coughs> Sarge thought that sounded like the ideal time to get off the ship. Slowly, in the wee hours of the morning, a plan came together. Mostly, it was simple and straightforward. But Doc's suggestion for dealing with the rogue traitor was downright evil. None of us could look him in the eye after he made it. The boy clearly had been corrupted by his time with the rest of us. We had just over two days to get everything back together for our plan, but we managed most of it that first night. It wasn't until about noon that someone started imposing order on the mercenaries, so we had free run of their section of the ship, allowing us to get almost all the supplies we needed. Over the next two days, we used a combination of bribery, intimidation, and good old-fashioned bullshitting to avoid most of the chores the other mercenaries were doing and wander around the ship undetected. Sarge split us into two teams for most of the work. He, Nubby, and Doc concentrated on getting everything set up for our shuttle ride with the Seneschal, while Tink and Twitch were escorted on their mission by Fumbles and Infiltrator. Our time on the occurrence border really paid off for us during those days. We found it much easier to navigate this ship than any of the other mercenaries did. The maintenance passages and little locked doors that the crew used to get around quickly were an open book to us. We popped up in places that none of the crew even frickin' suspected a dirt sucker could get to. We made a complete mockery of their security and accomplished all of our objectives without ever being noticed, much less stopped. Our preparations were finished well ahead of schedule, and at Sarge's urging, we all got a full night's sleep as close as you can get to on a ship traveling in the warp before the big day guys i got bad news guys what guys what, i got what, bad what? news mm-hmm. bam margera has covid pneumonia who bam margera oh damn my favorite Bam Margera moment is when Hulk Hogan tweeted out that he was sad that Bam Margera died, and this was like four years ago. 
And then Bam was like, I'm still alive, brother, but I appreciate it. He's um, on a ventilator right now. Yeah, he is venting. Like, That's not good. Among... Yeah, that sucks. We wish Rip you well, Bam. Bam Margera. Yeah. R.I.P. Brother H.H. Well, he's not dead yet. Jeez. I was quoting Hulk Hogan. Oh, okay. Hold on, let me see if I can find it. Because it's so funny. Alright, I'm posting it in general of Fanon. <laughs> um, for those who don't, who didn't pull up the tweet when I mentioned it, it's a Hulk Hogan tweet that says, "Damn, Bam! I wish you were still with us. I sure would love to hang out again, my brother. Love you, miss you, H H." And then Bam Margera <laughs> responded, "I'm alive, brother, but miss you too." <laughs> Imagine being so elusive, people think you're dead. That's crazy. I think he was just in rehab at the time. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> Makes you um, elusive. Yeah. The seneschal being a seneschal and therefore the very definition of a crafty bugger probably knew his crew and the mercenaries engaged in a little bit of trolling. He probably wrote it off as a perk of the job and tro- turned a, pl- a blind eye so long as they didn't cause any trouble, that is. What he didn't know, though, was at this time the little trolling bay on his shuttle wasn't being used to transport a few crates of proscribed substances and weapons this time it was transporting seven crates each of which held a very uncomfortable inquisitorial agent the smugglers didn't know wait hold on the trollers the trolls didn't know i'm I'm replacing smugglers with trolls now because i think it's funny um and if you guys don't also do that then i'm going to not finish that sentence in fear of incriminating words coming out of my mouth the trolls didn't know what was in the crates either, but they'd been given clear instructions not to open them and stood to make a lot of money on this deal. Upon landing, they were to take these crates to a certain supply shed, use a code they'd been given to get in, and exchange them for several of the crates full of PDF hardware that filled the room. The boys were professionals and did their job smoothly and speedily. Once they were clear, Fumbles gave us a signal, and we all emerged in Nubby's storeroom, which was a little emptier than it should have been. But it wasn't like we'd even own that stuff anyway. The first, well, actually second phase of our plan completed, we started prepping for the hard part. The first hiccup came when we sent the infiltrator to contact the adepts and retrieve Tank's drone. He got through fine, but when he when the news he delivered wasn't exactly good. Well, most of the stuff from the adepts wasn't bad. They'd gotten Tank's message and kept everything under control, but there was a message from Weeboo as well. Apparently several ambassadors from the other planets... In the cluster, we're here to observe the PDF and the ex-inquisitor had tagged along with his delegation. To cut a long and critique and rant short, Weeboo thought we were right on the money, but strongly urged us not to kill the Tau politician after we got our data. He promised a major political victory for the Imperium if we managed to get the Blue Bastard on trial. So he wanted us to either capture the politician or do something to prevent him from skipping off the planet. This complicated our, our Simple post-evidence collection plan, just tossing a dozen practices were escaping the confusion. But Sarge told we needed to at least try. The infiltrator was sent out one last time to tell Weeboo to have a holding area ready uh, and warn the adepts of the change in our plans. But then we got our gear in order and officially started operation. Record and grab the Tau diplomat, then run away. 
Admittedly, it wasn't the best off designation, but it was Fumble's idea, and he we felt he needed all the positive reinforcement he could get for this one. We got into the command building again without any trouble. There were more guards than the last time, and they were checking IDs now, but their scanners weren't any better. They didn't have anything that could stop Fumbles. The infiltrator pinpointed a large conference room, the meeting between the politician and the seneschal what happened and, and worked with fumbles to distract the door guard while tink snuck in planted his drone up near the ceiling and engaged the stealth field sarge quietly promised himself that if he worked if, if this worked he'd actually forgive the techie for buying the thing once our recorder was in place and transmitting we all split up again to make the final preparations twitch and the infiltrator casually walked around the building placed several charges in discrete locations docked prepped a vial of sedative and fumbles grabbed us some sacks from the cafeteria finally nubby was given a pair of charges to plant the front gate and sent to commandeer an escape vehicle the tau diplomat arrived right on schedule and his bodyguards began scanning the room tink put the drone into non-transmitting mode and we all held our breath Luckily, the drone's stealth system and the scan-proof tarp we were all hiding behind held up to their scrutiny. We congratulated ourselves on our wild success and settled in to wait for Fumbles, who was sort of passively listening through the wall, to, to tell us when to go. About ten seconds later, the Seneschal entered the room and had his untouchable deactivate his limiter. Suddenly, we all felt a lot less smug. A very, very quiet debate was held in that closet while the meeting started. We'd been originally planning to use fumbles to make sure we had enough evidence before breach and to pinpoint all the hostiles for a quick takedown. Now we were going to have to go in blind and wouldn't have his assistance until the untouchable was dead. Of course, the debate really didn't change our plan. We were still going to bust open the wall, kill almost everyone, then run out to where Nubby had the getaway car ready. Those you remember what first the untouchable is, right? No, it's um, it's like the opposite of psyker. Um, they're they instead of having okay. psychic presence, they have no psychic presence. Every okay. creature has some, except for blanks, because they have no soul or something like that. And so imagine like, um, you remember being told as a kid not to put magnets near your computer? Yes. Um. So the psyker is the computer. And the untouchable is the magnet. Okay. Thanks for the reminder. You're welcome. Um, and if you're listening and you didn't know, they're also called untouchables or blanks. And I think there's another thing they call them. Weirdos. Sisters of Silence, obviously. They call them weirdos. I'm a creep. A psychic null or a pariah. They're all the okay. same thing. Okay. All right, you can continue. Many synonyms. Sorry. After a few dozen tense minutes, Sarge estimated that enough time had passed and gave the word to get ready. Everyone picked up their weapons and got into position. Doc readied his vial. Twitch put his breaching charge in place, and Tink got ready to send the drone's recall command. Sarge held up a beefy hand and counted down. The last finger descended. Twitch hit his hit his detonator and a six-foot section of the reinforced wall turned into a wave of shrapnel, completely shredding the seneschal and the former guard major who'd been commanding the mercenaries. One down, three to go. Before the gooey remains of the two men hit the floor, three flashbangs had entered the room. The split second after they detonated, Sergeant Twitch followed them in and opened fire on the guards in either corner. A second after that, Doc and the infiltrator sprinted into the room and gunned down the guard standing next to the dazed Tau diplomat. Finally, Tink entered the room, barely ducking below the drone as it whizzed out and blew the head off the traitor general. 
two down, two to go. There were now five of us and four hostiles in the room, but we didn't know that. Sarge executed the wounded, untouchable lying near his feet and turned to where Doc and the infiltrator were grabbing the stunned politician. He caught a flash of movement, heard a yell from Fumbles, then barely managed to duck below a stream of plasma bolts. Doc and the infiltrator weren't so lucky. Doc got hit in the stomach and went down with a choked shout. Next to him, the infiltrator lost his head with an ugly splatting sound. Twitch and Tink immediately turned to the new threat and raised their weapons, but all either of them could see was a faint shimmer in the air. Acting in desperation, both troopers fired to suppress, then had to dive for cover as the invisible targets ignored their fire. We had two men down, one of them dead and the other gut shot, and the rest of us were pinned by heavy fire from a frickin' invisible enemy. Situation was not good. It was at that point, right when we were kissing our asses goodbye, that Fumbles saved the day. The little psyker ran in, took a deep breath, and let out a deafening shriek, which was echoed by two shouts of pain from the far end of the room. The torrent of plasma fire stopped, and those of us who could still move sprang into action. Sarge grabbed the syringe from Doc's hand and tossed it to Twitch, who slammed it into the diplomat's chest. Sarge then tucked Doc under one arm while Twitch picked up the frail diplomat and fireman's carry and Tink, Tink, I keep, I called him six different names during this recording, I swear to God, Twink, he's Twinked now. Twink hosed the far end of the room with a wild stream of plasma. Behind us, Fumbles took another deep breath, then under the cover of a second psychic shriek, we all sprinted out of the room. As we ran... Twink grabbed the drone's controller and ordered it to follow him, and Twitch grabbed several of his detonators. Sarge stopped for a second at the breach, then tossed his entire bandolier grenades into the room behind us. Minus one pin, of course. The entire building shook around us as two different series of explosions ripped through it. One series was an orderly chain of booms that sounded like an incredibly loud row of dominoes falling. It was caused by by a neatly organized series of breaching charges, which opened like a clear path opened a clear path from our location to where Nubby was waiting for us. The other was just 15 grenades of four types going off like a string of firecrackers and nearly knocked us on our faces and hopefully killed the two invisible hostiles. Breathing in. Tink, Twink, Twink, Morty, Twink led out our run, led our run out of the building, charging his plasma gun as he ran and neatly incinerating a guard who came to check out the noise Sarge was behind him, holding his last gun in one hand, spraying at anything that attempted to move around us. Next came Twitch, who was straining under the tile's weight and shedding landmines at the rate of about one per four meters in an attempt to lighten his load and stop the pursuit. An exhausted fumbles brought up the rear and did his best to disrupt any pursuers by throwing random hallucinations at anyone who saw us. Put simply, we left the trail of bodies in confusion from the conference room to the parking lot, where Nubby waited for us in our getaway vehicle, which turned out not to be a hover car, APC or flyer, but a rather poorly maintained food delivery van. As we sprinted across the lot and piled into the shitty van, it became apparent that our escape was not going to go as planned, not because of Nubby's poor choice of vehicle, but because of the PDF troopers um, that we could see around the base weren't acting like they should have been. This was worrying on the account how the escape part of the plan had always been sort of shaky. It mostly hinged on us getting the hell out of there and going to ground for any real pursuit was organized. This may seem horribly optimistic, but remember at this point, we were supposed to be supposed to have just killed the PDF's top human general, political leader, and the Tau Firecast who commanded them. Between the deaths of those senior officers and the trail of discussion or destruction our exit would leave, the chain of command should have been an unholy mess. Unfortunately for us, it wasn't. The problem was the Firecast commander hadn't been at the meeting. We weren't sure if he left early or never attended or what, but he hadn't died in the conference room like he should have. 
So right now, instead of lying dead in a puddle of his own blood while he forced his ult into chaos and let us escape, he was barking orders over the general channel. This was a very bad thing. So while our getaway vehicle slowly accelerated towards the base's exit, Sarge's mind raced for a way to disrupt the PDF before we were caught in the middle of a literal army of hostiles. As he listened to the orders and questions flying over the PDF's comnet, a solution came to him, and he seized Tink's drone. A second later, Sarge realized he had no idea how to use the drone and seized Tink instead. Tink's orders were simple. Find something, anything incriminating in the drone's recording, and jack it into the PDF general channel. This wasn't the time to worry about keeping the evidence a secret until the trial. We'd trade political bullshit for not getting killed any day. Tink was in a state of overloaded panic as he tried to do several things at once. He needed to rip out the van's transponder and autopilot before it was used to stop us, reload his plasma gun before the next fight, and now he had to figure out how to make the drone play back its recording, then find an incrimination section, then figure out how to jack the audio feed into his comm feed. The techie froze for a second, started to babble a question about which he should do first, then Twitch yanked the plasma gun away and used the last of its charge to fry the transponder. Ignoring the fact that the plasma bolt came in came within a millimeter of destroying the van's engine, it simply it simplified the situation beautifully. I gotta slow down, guys. I can't do it. My mouth is getting away from me. It's all good. I know. Tink immediately started punching at the drone's controls while Twitch reloaded his plasma gun, and within half a minute, the drone was broadcasting over the PDF's channels. It took a little longer to find a good section of dialogue, but after a few false starts, he managed it, and we all heard the Tau's commander voice go, panicked, as he ordered everyone to turn off their combeads. Sarge didn't have time to feel satisfied. He was busy applying his limited knowledge of field medicine. The Tau... Tau-style flak armor Doc had been wearing hadn't done jack to stop the plasma bolt. The gut wound went all the way through, but it missed anything immediately fatal and partially cauterized itself. Sarge hit the medic with an ampule <laughs> He's pain got killer. the fucking Raditz scar, bro. I have no idea what that means. You've never seen Dragon Ball Z? No. You should die. I'm the only one in the world who hasn't seen Dragon Ball Z. First of all, two-thirds of our friend. I'm pretty sure the only people in our friend group who have seen Dragon Ball Z are in this call right now. Yeah. Oh. Except for maybe Michael, who doesn't show up to recordings ever. Fair. But I don't even know if Michael's seen Dragon Ball Z, so... I think he's seen at least some of it. Um, um the, yeah, the joke didn't work. G- Goku had a brother, and he got a laser through the chest. And so he, yes. Doc got a laser through the chest, and so he has the 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 Goku brother scar, and his brother's name is Raditz, so it's the Raditz scar. Okay. Okay. God, Sarge hit the medic. I had to explain it. It wasn't funny because I don't understand the reference. It's. I swear, it's funny if you understand the reference. Check. Okay. Just. Just. just it was check. like. Just check. It was like a little check. Funny. Shut up, Matt. You're supposed to enable me, not disable me. It would have. It would have. That came funnier. out really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been funnier if you said it missed all his vital organs. <laughs> Looks like you missed all my vital organs. All of them. Okay. Continue, Kai. Okay. Sarge hit the medic with an ampule painkiller and another of stim that brought him back to focus. From there, Doc was able to walk. Sarge through applying a dressing. 
Jesus Christ. My brain is not working. From there, Doc was able to walk Sarge through applying a dressing and blood pack, as well as treating a few minor wounds the other guardsmen had taken without noticing. The Tau diplomat lay in a heap in the floor and occasionally moaned or snored. No one bothered to scare him until Hard Turn nearly shot him out the half-closed door. That would have been embarrassing. Up in the front seat, Nubby was driving for his life while Fumbles rode shotgun. Well, Lasgun actually, but whatever. He'd nearly crashed twice already and no one was telling him anything except that his getaway vehicle sucked. As far as Nubby could tell, the situation was slightly worse than expected. Only six men had come back after all, but uh, they had their hostage and the PDF appeared not to be paying attention to the van anymore. He rounded a final corner and started barreling towards the main gate, which by some miracle had not been closed yet. It looked like he wouldn't even have to detonate the charges he'd placed on it. As the van sailed through the open gate, Nubby grinned and hit the detonators anyway, just as a goodbye present. Nubby told the rest of us that it looked like we were in the clear. Everyone sighed in relief, and there were a few high fives. And then Tink ruined the mood. He swore loudly and told the us that the PDF general comm channel was closed. He started flipping his broadcast to other channels, then went pale and screamed at Nubby to go faster as he heard the traffic on them. Apparently, the engineers in the motor pool had the commander's battle suit and devilfish ready. Nubby nearly put his augmentic foot through the floor as he stamped on the accelerator. A devil fish is a big drone. With Thank a you. big gun. Actually, that's a picture of it right in the thing below. Disregard. If you look below, in the, in the image below, that's, a, that's what it looks like. It looks doesn't like really look like a devil fish. fish, but okay. It looks like a devilish yeah. fish to me. But it does have a big gun on it. Also, Kai, if you look in general, there is there is both Dragon Ball references that were both made in the last five minutes. Both Raditz taking a giant laser through the chest and also Piccolo delivering the greatest line delivery in anime history. Thank you very much. <laughs> At Nubby's fanatic request for a destination, preferably one with lots of friendly fire with anti-armor weapons, Sarge com- calmed the adepts as soon as we cleared the base jammers. The nerds were panicked, to say the least. They'd been watching the chaos unfolding at the base through hacked vid feeds. Sarge filled them in on our cargo location and what we'd heard would be following us. He requested that they contact Weeboo to find us hiding places or get us some damned reinforcements. The adepts didn't even bother to tell us how much firepower or how deep a hole we were going to need. They must have heard the forced calm in Sarge's voice. He told them to keep the channel open for tactical updates and let them get the work. Nubby somehow managed not to hit any of the other vehicles as we put as many kilometers and buildings between us and the base. The slagged hole in the middle of the dashboard made some faint beeps as the transponder tried to report our traffic violations and lock down our vehicle before we killed anyone. It was a valid concern, really. We left about a dozen accidents in our wake. Finally, after severe nerve-wracking minutes of reckless driving, the adepts calmed us back and began relaying directions from Weeboo. They were cut off from a shout by Tank as the devilish APC hopped a devil fish APC hopped a low building behind us and started gaining ground in our shitty van. The APC didn't open fire on us possibly because of our hostage or all the civvies around. Instead, they just steadily closed the distance to release a few drones while everyone, even Nubby, was staring back at the approaching devilfish. Fumble's face jerked upwards and the psyker shouted a warning. Sergio gets to say so it no this time. Shit. The world is healed. There we were. 
trying to outrun a top-of-the-line APC in our shitty van. One three and a half tons of pissed-off Xenos battlesuit dropped out of the sky like a fucking meteor and landed five feet in front of us. Nubby screamed and swore the van as hard as he could, actually managing to raise the vehicle into two wheels. I swear by the Emperor. One of our tires actually went over the battlesuit's head as we pulled the sort of turn you typically see light lightnings make. Everyone who wasn't buckled into their seats in the back of the van was tossed around like a cat in a tumble dryer. It was a bloody miracle none of our weapons or twitches minds went off. As the van dropped back onto two wheels, Tink poked his plasma gun into the back door and took aim. For its part, the battle suit was just standing there and staring at us, looking as confused as the giant pile of boxes can. Tink shot and nailed it right in the leg, reminding the pile of a stationary armor as dead armor, and the battle suit jumped back into the air. A few seconds later, he came down ahead of us again, but Nubby was swerving like a drunkard now, and the battle suit didn't even come close to stopping us. Sergeant fumbled but poked their guns out the passenger window and gave him another volley as we screeched by. What followed was a demented game of whack-a-mole, except the hammer couldn't exactly land on the mole, and the mole kept shooting the hammer every time we missed. We were slowly wearing the bastard down with our volleys, but every time we dodged, we lost a little bit more speed. The second that bastard decided to survive into a crash, he made sure to shoot our tires or driver. Bless you. Inside the van, things were absolute chaos. Nubby was constantly screaming as he tried to dodge, accelerate, and follow the adept's directions at the same time. Fumbles was trying to relay the battlesuit's movements while the rest of us tried to get shots of through the doors, windows, and occasionally the walls. The Tau diplomat just hung in his seat and kept sleeping. Occasionally his head would slam against the wall with a hollow coconut sound when the van swerved hard. I can imagine the sound so well. He got hit in the head by two coconuts! Yes! Oh. A dog. After a particularly... Particularly near miss, Sarge checked the map again and decided we weren't going to make it to our destination. It wasn't much further, but we wouldn't. But it wouldn't be long before the, either the devilfish caught up with us or the battlesuit decided we were going slow enough. The only thing to do to try to change the game before we lost. The only thing to do is try to change the game before we lost this one. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time today. <laughs> We're all struggling. Don't worry. <laughs> I I've called I've called Tink six different names, and one of them was almost bad. So don't That's even true. worry. That's true. I think you like messed us up by talking about the most literate Floridian, and now we're all just brain. That, yeah, dead. we're all we're all <laughs> Aiden Ross now. Yes. Um, at Sarge's orders, everyone stopped taking pot shots and got into position to aim out the front window. Tink was in the best spot between Nubby and Fumbles. Behind him was Twitch with the single shot crack launcher we'd been hoarding for so long, and Doc and Sarge did their best to aim around the seats. Once everyone was in position, Sarge gave the word Nubby found a nice straightaway, stopped swerving, and floored it. The battlesuit took the bait and landed in front of us again, but this time we didn't try to go around. Two las bolts, a crack missile, and a big old ball of plasma rocketed out of the front of the van. It was an obvious attack, and the nimble battlesuit should have easily dodged it, but for a split second, the pilot couldn't remember how to. The only thing that saved the Xenos' life was the automated point defense bullshit in his armor. The crack missile went off about halfway between us and him, but everything else hit him, including the shitty van. Being in a high-speed collision is not an enjoyable experience, especially if you're not buckled into anything. We came out of that crash with about seven broken ribs, a broken arm, a plasma gun butt-induced concussion, and a battlesuit wrapped around the hood of our van. 
None of that was important, though. What was important was that the van was still running and Nubby could still fucking drive, even if he could barely see over the deployed airbag. Those of us who could still hold our weapons and see straight poured last fire into the stuck battlesuit's head camera thing. It was thoroughly slagged by the time a hard swerve flung the battlesuit off our hood and into the oncoming traffic. We all ran to the back door and shot it a few more times as we sped away for good measure, then noticed how close the devilfish was, and we slammed the doors before someone tried their hand at sniping it. Without the battlesuit heading us off, it was a straightforward race between us and the devilfish now. They were faster than us and could jump over most obstacles, but they also had to try and predict our wild turns, and we weren't shy about taking pot shots at them or their drones. In the end, we were about 50 meters ahead of them when we made it to our destination, which turned out to be the front entrance of fancy office park-looking place with a big flag over it. Nubby plowed through the still-opening gate, then screeched to a stop as he realized that the road dead-ended in front of the largest building, and then, as we picked ourselves up, the adepts calmed us and said that we should be safe in the embassy's soil. All we had to do was stay put and let the politicians handle it now. Hearing this, Nubby popped out of his seat, leaned out the driver door, and started loudly mocking the APC as it sat at the wrecked gate. Turned out to be a bad idea. One of the drones overheard, took a pot shot that he barely dodged, and the devilfish began to slowly enter the compound while fire warriors hopped out the back. We ducked back into our van and got ready for the shooting to start. But apparently the Tau weren't quite ready to start the bloodbath. They fanned out into firing positions and appeared to be having a heated calm argument with somebody. The adepts told us to stay put again while they handled this. The Tau should back down if nothing uh, nothing pushed him over the edge. Sarge decided it would be a very bad idea to bet our lives on this and quietly instructed us to get ready. For a little while, it looked like the adepts were right. A large number of soldiers, human, Tau, even a few crew came out and faced down the PDF tile. The hostiles were definitely having second thoughts, even with armor on their side. And we could hear Weeboo's voice as he browbeat their leader via the comms. Then the half-slag battleship battleship, with the PDF commander peeking out through the open chest hatch came rocketing in. We didn't wait for things to spiral out of control. Sarge gave the order, and five guardsmen worth of smoke and flash grenades were tossed in every direction. Under the cover of that barrage, we did what any red-blooded hero of the Imperium would do in that situation. We ran like little girls. While screaming. The nades gave us some cover. Fumbles, partial cloak, and visibility gave us more. And, we fi- and finally, we had the Tau Diplomat as a hostage in the middle of us. We still took a hell of a lot in fire, though. The embassy exploded into a into a point-blank firefight around us, the air filled with plasma bullets as two heavily armed forces with no cover opened up in full auto. We couldn't tell who was winning or losing. All we cared about was running faster. Doc went down first, taking a hit in his leg. Without missing a beat, Sarge grabbed him by the collar of his armor and ragged him along. Next to the fall was Nubby, who got spun around by a shot to the shoulder. Tank grabbed one leg and Fumbles grabbed the other and dragged the little trooper along as he screamed and cursed. The final stumble was Twitch, who didn't see the embassy's front door in the smoke and ran right into it. Luckily, the politician absorbed most of the impact and after two tries, Hooper made it through the door. Then we were all in in the clear. We were all bleeding. Didn't even we affect them. Hurting, but the emperor was still alive or we were still alive emperor <laughs> yeah sorry emperor sorry bro rip bozo pour one out motherfucker in the chair started laughing and thumping <laughs> each other on the backs then there was a large explosion outside and we all spreaded farther into the building weebu found us and boarded up in a walk-in freezer we didn't let him in until he went and fetched us our adepts and a medic 
between a broken arm, a shot leg, a gut wound, ours was sort of busted. When Weebu finally talked to us out of the freezer, we didn't bother with formality. Sarge just handed him the drone and the diplomat, told the adepts that they were in charge for the next 12 hours. Then we all collapsed onto the first pieces of comfortable furniture we could find. Weebu did not yell at us for bleeding on his carefully arranged decor, but we could if we wanted to. 12 hours later, we all woke up to find that we were big, damned heroes. It's not like we, we were against... wanted to. Oh. What? No, Sergio, I, Sergio said he could if he wanted to, but he could tell if he wanted to is the correct sentence there. Actually, it's B, Minus... we could tell he wanted to. Minus five points for Gryffindor. It's okay. We all can't read today. It's not like we were against being heroes, but we hadn't expected to be Tao heroes. Weebu and the Adepts had been busy while we slept. They'd been blackmailing, spinning, smearing, exposing, and all other sorts of political bullshit all day long. They set up a chain of events that would eventually end in an absolutely gruesome trial no one in the cluster was likely to forget. It wasn't going to convince everyone to purge their Xenos populations and join the Imperium, but it would push the entire political situation into a vaguely pro-Imperial equilibrium, which was unofficially what the Imperium wanted out here. The other guaranteed end result was the death sentence of the Tau politician. Sadly, we wouldn't be around to see that. Three down and just one to go, though, even if it would take a few years. Speaking of the one to go, the rogue trader started heading out of system when things went south. It seemed like he didn't want to stick around if there wasn't a profit to be made having enough... Having... There wasn't a profit to be made having his mercenaries die messily. I'm having an aneurysm. None We're of the all locals having an aneurysm. <laughs> yes. None of the locals gave serious chase. His ship was faster than theirs and big enough to inflict heavy losses if they forced a fight. As he fled, he sent a message to us. Well, actually, his nemesis, Bane John, swearing vengeance. He vowed that name. He still had his raiders. He'd carve a swath of destruction across the nearby imperial systems in our name. So yeah, he mad. His message sent the rogue trader warped out of the system, leaving us with rather put-out adepts and weeboo. I'm missing so many words here, and I don't even care. They seemed pretty broken up over how many people were going to die, and how it was at least partially our fault. We found it hilarious, though, which really weirded out the nerds. We didn't let them in on what was so funny. Instead, we asked weeboo to find us an astropath. A few hours later, we were all sitting with this astropath when the message we were expecting came in. It was a general distress call, asking for assistance from any Imperial (coughs) ships in the area. Apparently, the rogue trader's ship had suffered catastrophic damage to its warp drive. Tink and Twitch high-fived each other while Doc smiled sadly from his wheelchair. Sarge told him it was okay and asked if he wanted to leave for the next part, but Doc insisted on staying. We sat with that astropath and listened as the messages shifted from requests for assistance repairing their warp drive to panicked reports that the Geller field was failing. We listened as the requests turned to pleas, begging, and then to curses, and finally to howling demonic voices and roars. Our astropath had to stop there for fear of demonic corruption. Weeboo and the adepts just stared at us, and then slowly left to get back to their politicking. Four for four. Mission accomplished. That's fucking crazy. Emperor, forgive us for what we did to the thousands of souls aboard that vessel, but mission 
fucking accomplished. That's crazy. That that's how that's how they. That's so fucked up. <laughs> that's so that dark for really the whole guardsman party. All right, yeah. I'll take us home with the last two. Okay. Anyways, like I said, big damn Tau heroes. The Empire knew its diplomacy and whether or not they'd been seen officially behind the politician. And whether or not they'd been officially behind the politician. When they got reports of his capture, they went into full damage control mode. Most of it was disavowing the politician and anyone who ever walked within half a click radius of him. But they'd also spent an amazing amount of effort praising and publicly thanking us. Not thanking the Inquisition or Weebu spy agency, but us personally a bunch of ex-guardsmen who risked their life to define the odds to blah 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 we got painted as these sort of heroic deserters fighting the truth fighting for truth justice and our own personal version of the greater good 